0: Ho, Mason. <laughs> ho, 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 Mason. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. You ready for some fun?
1: Yes. <laughs> Always. Ho, ho, ho.
0: You know Skid Mark and Ball Sack and Taint Smell. And Ligma, Ass Cheek, and Toenail, and Bofa, these nuts. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? Toenail the reindeer. Mason the farting reindeer had a very juicy ass. And if you ever smelled it it. You would know he's passing gas All of the other reindeer Reindeer. Used to laugh and call him short (laughs) They never let poor Mason Mason. Join their macaroni art (laughs) Then one foggy Christmas Eve Noah came to say Mason, with your ass so fat, won't you host a podcast with that? Then all the reindeer loved him, him. as they farted out with glee. Mason, the farting reindeer, reindeer, you'll give me an eye that's pink one more time mason the farting reindeer reindeer had a very juicy ass like rihanna and if you ever smelled it smelled it you would know he's passing gas like our uncles all of the other reindeer reindeer used to laugh and call him shart like a messy fart they never let poor mason mason join their macaroni art like preschool then one foggy christmas eve noah came to say you guys smell shit mason (laughs) with your ass so fat Won't you host a podcast with that? It's on the list. Then all the reindeer loved him, loved him, as they farted out with glee. Stinky! Mason the farting reindeer, reindeer, you'll give me an eye that's pink like the panther. Fuck.
1: Woo. Oh yes! Didn't you do a uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer parody last year with Sienna I I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. I, have no I, idea. I listen. Did I I think you I think you might have. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind. I think you've. Uh, you've
0: I don't mind. Let's <laughs> doing Reindeer Rudolph <laughs> the Red Nosed Reindeer two years in a row because I like doing Rudolph two years in a row. I have the Sienna episode right here. Should we just play it? Should we verify for the fans out there if I if I double down real quick?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> this is a first. This is getting This is getting freaky. We're entering, we're entering the, the freaking show. metaverse here. With, uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> we will you on the list. That's
0: just so fucked up. And we're on. All right, folks. We are on. And guess what? It's Christmas, everyone. Uh-oh. When little, this, uh, when this, when this is coming out, it's actually Christmas Eve. Believe it or not. So, what? I we wanted were on to start some holiday cheer. Last year, oh, okay. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. Oh, it is short little intro. You know Peter and Lois and wow, Stewie. Wow. Yeah. And, and this is
1: before the <laughs> Brian e- and This Cleveland is before you were playing um, the the song with like with the computer audio. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sienna and I were sitting in the Zoom window, as we used to do, as Gus and, and I used to do, just sit very patiently until you started your song. And that at that point, um, your the game became obvious. You know, the game was afoot. The game was toenail the <laughs> reindeer. <laughs> the, game was, the game was Armpit
0: Fart the Reindeer making his way down Main Street, Fuck, clopping dude. along. I haven't
1: done an armpit fart in so long. I think I'm I'm too hairy under the pits right now to really get a good one off. <laughs>
0: you want to try right now? Yeah, let's do it. You want to try sure. doing yeah, it? Yeah, All I'll right. All <laughs> right. Let's, go, let's, let's go for it. All right. Yeah,
1: I can't get the friction up. Any. I can't get... oh. Kind, You're coming up dry. Ones. Yeah, I am. I am. I love my weird hairy body, my tiny little hairy body that I got here. Uh but it uh, the trade-off with that is that there's no hair up here and I'm pointing to my head, listeners. Uh and there's a lot of hair under my my armpits and I can't do I can't get back in the armpit fart uh game as I as I used to as a as a younger person. Uh but that's a trade-off that say. comes with age. What will you say?
0: Well, it's age, uh, for sure. Age is part of it. But here's what I'll say when I got to go go visit Mason in Chicago earlier this year. Mm -hmm. People would say, how was that, seeing Mason? How was that, seeing Mason, you know, in person after Mm -hmm. all these years? I'd say it was really fun. It was great. But uh, if I have to leave you with one thought, Two words great bush (laughs) (laughs) just look at everyone and go great bush and then I would do and then and then I would pull it slowly up on my phone and play
1: this
0: (laughs) I'm loving it make them sit there in silence as I pulled that up on my phone after I said that my co-host and friend has a great bush I can't do this
1: all on my own no I know Mason M's got a great bush (laughs)
0: You got a great bush, man. I do, That's, and you know what? That's what happens when you get older. Yeah, you just get a great fucking pub region going. It's awesome.
1: That's a, so. I am. I am. Uh, uh, I'm back on Tinder, and I forgot. Like, here's the thing that I like about Tinder. I like getting very validation yeah, yeah. that I'm. I'm uh, an attractive, hot commodity, a single, sure. an eligible bachelor in the city. I fucking hate having to come up with conversation topics for these 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 attractive young women that I match with Uh, because I'm like how what do I do to break to break the ice here sometimes it's there's something on the profile that I can you know latch on to like if I see someone's favorite artist is Wilco I can be like oh what are your favorite Wilco songs or have you ever seen them live for example sometimes it's just as simple as what's your favorite kind of snack which has been my latest um my latest one, uh, and my wife will answer. Well, you, you silly! And then I'll say, "That's great! You're very funny." I'm never going to see you uh, because you scare me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That is nice. You've never been a dating app dating app guy. No, never been on the apps. That's pro- you're probably a better person for that. Never, never had a a, a drink of alcohol. Never had a, a <laughs> puff of the devil's lettuce. Never been on the d- dating apps. And uh, that is why you are uh, glowing, why there's just a little halo around you (laughs) right now. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm not distracted by pussy <laughs> at,
0: all. at every single turn like my evil co-host is my sinful co-host oh my by god pussy yeah i
1: really yeah 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 i just I, I hate that i am built this in the kind of way where i will just like uh see a cute girl walking down the street or a attractive young woman and That will just absolutely ruin my day until I see the next attractive young woman walking down the street, and I'm just like, ah, so many pretty people out there in the world. Building,
0: like, full-on full lives with these women in your head where you're like, oh, you know, she's a lawyer or something, and I'm a podcaster, and we're going to move to the North Shore suburbs, and we're going to own a house and. What, give me a helmet winnetka uh is that an option
1: yeah i would like to i mean yeah I, I was thinking highland park highland park i was thinking i was hanging out with a friend of mine um and the only reason why i went this far north is because he picked me up from my neighborhood and drove me up there but i was hanging out with a friend of mine in uh at his place his and his wife's place in edgewater it's just an apartment um but i like that far north in the city actually you're very close to the water so just the air feels like different Uh, when you're up there, there's also, like, there's, like, good food in my neighborhood, um, but it's all kind of, uh, kind of expensive, and it's, it's, uh, uh, like, I just, I just really want, like, a, a decent, like, cheap noodle place, you know, and I don't really think I have one in my neighborhood. I have, like, a pretty good somewhat expensive noodle place. I also don't have a ton of great grocery stores. And in Edgewater, there's a lot of, like, Asian marts where I could get, like, really good produce and really good just, like, other stuff. Because when I was living in K-Town, like, my last year living in K-Town, holy shit, dude, the fact that I was, like, so close to, like, two Korean supermarkets and the Ralphs was really, like, fucking... You
0: would hit up you would hit up the H Mart and stuff. I
1: love the H Mart. Yeah. I love going to that H Damn. Mart. Uh, the parking lot was very scary sometimes, but I the produce was great. It was nice and nice and compact. Couldn't get lost very easily, moved you in and out really quickly. And they had a really good food court too. Really, really good food court. The food court is fucking
0: incredible. I actually remember <clears throat> in the pre pandemic days driving around with Chris, Chris T of It's On the List, and everything now fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, driving around with him, and he's like, do you want to go to the food court at the H-Mart? And I said, yeah. And I <laughs> made a really scary left turn across a double yellow <laughs> to get into the parking lot, and he said, don't do that. <laughs> First and foremost, was, don't do that, and I said, okay, for, noted, no problem. And then he said, also, this is
1: the wrong H-Mart. No. Because there's two
0: H-Marts close together. In that general vicinity Yeah
1: Apparently Yeah Cause there's The one that I would go to Was on like Fourth and Fourth or fifth And western And then there was another one That was a little farther south If I remember Yeah they're both on western Basically though Yeah That's
0: the thing Is that you can both access them Through western And so I think we were at Just the wrong one The one that didn't have the food court But I remember going into that food court Getting pho Of some kind And being like I can't believe that this is so good, and it's in the fucking food court of basically a mall.
1: Yeah, more or less. Do we want to start the show now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm thinking we just do this for the rest of the fucking yeah. time.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Um. I'm fine. I'm good. Good. I'm good. Should I say it? Should I say welcome to, to it's on the list yeah, the podcast same. about underrated albums? Welcome to What's on the List of Podcasts about underrated albums, movies, and so much more. Ooh. Bum-ba-da-bum, bum e- I am, of course, Clark Kent with a monocle. <laughs> Noah Marger. With <laughs> just one. I'm Clark Kent with just one, baby. So I got half the powers and none of the swag <laughs> of Superman. And with yep. me as always... Mm-hmm. My Lois Lane, who mm-hmm. I'm demanding him change his last name to Griffin so that it's hot for me. Mm-hmm. Mason McGuire. Hey, hey. Mason, happy holidays. This happy, is the happy. Christmas Eve epic once again. Um, this is, this. is Let's just be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel like this year was better than 2020. Still not amazing by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But it was better. It was just the fact that you could get a vax. Made it better, and
1: a lot of people did. You you could get a vaccine. You could get three vaccines, actually. Get three shots in the arm. I've gotten three shots in my arm. Baby, all I need is a shot in the arm. You could go out. You could see other people than who you lived with. It was a—I know everyone uh, right now online is in all kinds of doom and gloom over various things that are not ideal happening, we will say— but looking back on the year, was it tough? Absolutely. Were people still being fucking stupid? People are never not going Absolutely. to be fucking stupid. Over last year, where we were all in our apartments, locked in, uh, uh, doing, you know, making our sourdough breads, getting into mixology, and then uh, everyone was dying of the novel coronavirus and there was seemed to be no end in sight – Improvement, marginal improvement, marginal improvement. Yes, yes. I
0: would say more than marginal. To be honest with you, I think the fact that you could go to fucking Red Robin and yeah. be a little safe yeah. is huge. I, it's just it's the simple things. You know, we'll it talk is. about that later in the show. But I would say improvement. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, not gonna say everything's great. But I think this year was re- relatively pretty cool. I would say, yeah, especially if you're looking at it from 2020s. Rear view mirror Mm -hmm. But Mason Mm -hmm. As we like to do on this show To end of the year And I'll just say it I'll say it This is my favorite time of the year For it's on the list
1: I like this time of year uh, Me too Me too There's not a Like I feel like the How do you Like What's the pressure situation for you When you're making these ends of year lists Do you feel a lot of pressure to do it And also like What's your um, I guess Uh, strategy or kind of animating sort of idea about how you're collecting collecting these lists here's my other question do you know how many new to you movies you watched this year
0: in total no I don't know how many in total I watched that were new to me well no the answer is no I don't in total do you
1: well, I so since in 2020 I started tagging on Letterboxd my the the new to me as well as the uh the ones that I just watched in theaters. Um this year in 2021 I watched 106 new movies as of this recording. Uh and I watched 20 uh 42 rather 2021 new releases. Um this now last year in 2020 I actually watched 126 New movies, new to me, quote-unquote, but I only watched 34 2020 releases, Um,
0: which is like- That's still a lot for 2020. Yeah. That's actually a really good number. Yeah,
1: and considering how you couldn't go into the theaters, I think some of that is also just retroactively catching up with stuff. Like, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, like, once I got around to watching- uh, Psycho Gore Man this year with my friends I put that on the list uh, The Empty Man I also made sure I tagged As 2020 but those are like the Two that I can uh, Oh and there's also stuff Like Land or Promising Young Woman that I, And Minari that I was like watching For Oscars catch up um, uh, Oscar Meyer catch up I don't know um, But like Come on now come on now But definitely okay. like <laughs> My favorite thing about um, 2021 was just the ability to go back to the motherfucking movie theaters. And I really abused that fucking privilege. I think basically everything that's on my list here and that I've seen uh, in this 2021 tag that I have was something that I saw in theaters. With a few minor exceptions. Uh, And we'll get into that when we're talking about 2021 stuff when that comes around. Um... But yeah, I went to the movies and I had a great time at the motherfucking movies.
0: Hell yeah. To answer your question, I'm ignoring everything you just said. To yeah. answer your question, um how do I build this list? Well, first of all, what are we talking about today? <laughs> what the what the motherfucker are Folks. we even discussing?
1: I'm so Go bad. for it. No, no, no. No, no, no. Folks, we are hosting... <laughs> we, are- so we are talking about our favorite <laughs> new-to-us releases in 2021. The movies that we saw Woo! this year for the first time. For the first time. Yes, bro. Hell
0: yeah. There's a couple rules that stipulate that. But yes, we are talking about new-to-me's movies we watched for the first time in 2021 that were not released in the year of our Lord 2021. Mm-hmm. Those rules are as follows. Mason, correct me if I'm wrong or if I forgot anything, but I think it's pretty simple, and I think I got it covered. Okay. Here's the rules. They had to be first watches all the way through. Yes. That's rule number one. Pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. They had to have been released in 2020 or before. Yes. That's rule number two. And the third rule, maybe not as obvious, and maybe didn't even apply. But we put it in there anyway. We cannot have covered it on the show. It's on the list with That's Noah and Mason. Yes. If we covered it on the show, we basically told you why we liked it or why we didn't like it in the first place. So we're leaving any of that shit out uh, for redundancy's sake. I don't even I don't know if it would have come up, to be honest with you, this year. I know for you last year it would have come up big time, but uh
1: those are the rules. Did I miss anything? No, f you're right on that. Um because there was I don't know if there would have been anything that we covered on the show this year that would have made my list. Um, I didn't but I there was just such a wealth of stuff that I caught up for the first time and watched um, for the first time that I didn't particularly feel any kind of pressure to like cheat a little bit. Um, how about you? Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, I don't know if there
0: was anything... Because of how we did it last year where we're like, yeah, nothing that we still covered on the show. It wasn't even really in my like purview to think that way yeah. about it. But here's what I will say. We're doing this episode, and then next week we're going to do a similar type of list, but for 2021. This was excruciating, really, really. putting together this list. This was horrible because... I basically what I do, I can take you I can take you through the process. I go on my letterbox diary and I look at everything that I watched for the first time that I gave 4 or more stars to. Mm-hmm. And I just put everything on a on a note. Then I put once I put everything Also we're recording this on December 19th. Yeah. So we, there's technically a little bit of time still left in the year. This is as of December 19th, 2021. Our actual lists, if we did have changes, I guess that could happen, but this is the official one.
1: Yeah. This is the it's on the list list. I really don't care. Okay? Yeah, I uh, In terms of just the new-to-me stuff, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily be watching a lot of new stuff before the end of the year, just for me. If I have one—like, the one movie that I can think of that I kind of want to catch up on is the original Nightmare Alley. Um, But I don't Ooh. think that I, yeah, but now I'm just thinking like if I'm going to rewatch, I'm and mostly in like rewatch mode right now or 2021 new releases, stuff that hasn't come out quite yes. yet. Like I just really just want to watch the second and third Matrix movies before I see Resurrections is kind of where I'm at. Sure. Uh, there's some stuff that I have from 2021, like saved, we'll say, that I want to catch up with before we make our lists. But I'm pretty locked in with my choices here, I think. I, I don't know if there's going to be too much that I that could come across my field of vision before midnight on December 31st that would throw a wrench into this thing here, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I, we'll see. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm going to have a little more time at the end of the year to maybe watch some stuff. But I think maybe I'm going to be catching up on maybe TV and like miniseries and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Going to, I don't know, fucking whatever. Omicron's making me maybe not go to the theater as much, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm fucking triple-maxed. Fuck it. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I basically look at my list of everything that I gave four stars or higher to, and I'm like, what stayed with me the most through the year? Right. Yeah. What did I watch throughout the course of the year, all 365, maybe 366 days, if we're in a little leap year What did I watch this year when I look at that title, that paints the most vivid, strong picture and makes me kind of feel like I'm watching the movie when I think about it. Yeah, What stayed with me the most? Yeah, and I pretty much just have to go off that. Because we're talking about a whole year worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. And as we'll see, mo- all but... There we have five honorable mentions each. And all but one of my honorable mentions or excuse me, all but one of the 15 movies that I'm going to be talking about are from before I moved back to L.A. So like the beginning part of okay, the, more or less, which is kind of surprising. I didn't, I didn't really realize that was going to be a thing, but then when I started going on the list, I was like, holy shit, I got so much good shit here from the beginning part of the year, specifically January. There's a ton of shit from January across these 15 here, honorable mentions, and the actual list itself. So that's kind of how I have to think about it. You have anything to say about how you think about it? We should fucking get to these fucking so, lists, bro.
1: I I agree with you. I so I don't put ratings on Letterbox unless I'm giving something five stars, and that kind of made it easier to filter out um, like the stuff that really stuck with me. Um, and even then, there was some stuff that I didn't give five stars that will end up on my my lists here. Um, just because like you, I was thinking, what did I watch this year that stayed with me the longest and what also like kind of paints the picture of my media and movie consumption this particular year. There was also a quote that I came across last night when I was doing my nightly Siskel and Ebert watch before I went to bed. And this was from the best of 1998 Siskel and Ebert's best of 1988, um, uh, video that I watched was uploaded to YouTube. And Raj Ebe himself says before he is going to proselytize for, um, I forget which movie exactly, but his number four choice of best movie that year. Uh, top 10 lists give you give you a chance to propagandize for things that you thought were um, kind of underappreciated or, under, or underseen or just not quite like given their, their proper due. And that's kind of how I, when I was coming down to the wire today, when I was finalizing my my rankings, finalizing... What's staying on this this fifteen slot here, and what's getting off? Really, what do I want to? What did I watch this year that I want to like go super heavy and hard for? There are so that's mostly what it is. I feel like it's mostly like kind of underseen stuff, but there are a few choices on this list of movies that I heard were fucking great for years that I finally watched for the first time this year and lived up to, and in many and in some cases exceeded my expectations. Um, so. That's kind of where I'm coming from with my list here, and with that, are you ready to get into this?
0: I am. I just realized we do. I do want to say one more thing. The thing I told you pre-show that would be more fun to say on air than before I told you.
1: Oh fuck! Okay. Right before the show.
0: Right before the show started, I made two drops, Mason. I made some drops Yo, myself. Oh,
1: he made some drops. Okay,
0: I made some drops. And you just call them out if this happens to happen either this week or next week. Not only do I have a drop for the biggest climb on the list. Mm-hmm, biggest climb. Which is what that one sounds like. Whoops. Not even, fuck, why? <laughs> no, <climb. laughs> So upsetting. The movie that climbed the highest. That maybe started out lower and ended up closer to the top. However you want to quantify that. Mm-hmm. And then also... Biggest drop. The biggest drop. Biggest Fuck, drive. I'm hitting the wrong fucking button. I hate that. I fucking hate how I'm queuing that shit up. But the movie that maybe started out at a higher level and then as you were doing your shit sort of fell a little bit. Okay. I have that. I might be calling him out maybe, probably more so next week, but you can use him this week too. But Mason, mm-hmm. without further ado. Mm hmm. Let's get into the honorable mentions.
1: Let's do it. Year. Let's do some honorable mentions. Do You just want to do it as a block of honorable mentions, or do you want to just talk about your five before we get into number ten here? Like uh, I'll talk. I'll
0: I'll do I'll do mine as a block real quick. I do have mm-hmm. it as sort of a fifteen, fourteen, thirteen, et cetera thing, but I'll just talk about all five, and then you talk about your five, and then we'll go one on one by one for ten through one. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's go. Right.
0: Uh, coming in at number. Hold on. <laughs> Never mind. Coming in at number 15 for me, Mason. Ooh, okay. This one snuck in there. It was between this and another movie. Both very different movies. Both movies or both of these films that I was deciding between for that last you know, honorable mention slot. They came out 50 years apart from each other.
1: Ooh, okay. Which is
0: crazy as hell. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going with the older pick on this one. Right at the last minute, I ended up going with the older pick. I watched this movie on January 16th. Of 2021. This movie is from 1950. Mm-hmm. It is a noir, which I famously am not that big of a fan of. Okay. Uh-huh. Directed by Mr. Nicholas Ray, we got In a Lonely Place. There you go. In at 15. Yeah. Love this movie.
1: Oh, man. The movie's man, really that fucking movie's, good. That movie fucking rips. I haven't seen that movie since college, actually, but that movie's fucking great.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to say a ton about these Honorable Menchies because I do want to save the bulk of the conversation for the actual list itself. But mm-hmm. not a huge fan of noirs normally. Not really a huge fan. I don't know. There's just some, there's something about them that I'm not really like super into. There's And again, there are things that sort of bubble up to the surface and it'll only place as one of them. Because I think the dynamics of that movie in terms of the relationships and sort of that trust and people keeping secrets or are they not keeping secrets yeah. and the performances... Are so good I just it, it. I watched it all the way back In fucking January And I'm still thinking about it You know At the end yeah. of the year At the end of 2021 And if we're If I'm gonna give a Mercedes Valuable player It's gotta be for that ending It's one of the best endings <sighs> In a movie I feel like
1: Such I a was, good ending I was born when she kissed me I lived while she loved me And I died when she Left Do I have that right?
0: Left me Maybe Or maybe left is what me. it is I don't know I have Great. no fucking idea
1: So fucking good So fucking good
0: that's my number 15. My number 14. Watched on March 24th. It's from 2012. It's a comedy. hmm Directed by Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim. Mm, this is Tim okay. and Eric's billion-dollar movie. Let's go. Coming to number 14. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Tim and Eric, Tim Heidecker, themselves, Office... Or it's not, well, Office Hours a little bit, but Awesome Show, all the stuff they've done online, Tim and an evening with Tim Heidecker, you know, just everything sort of in that universe. I'm generally a fan of, but I had never seen the billion dollar movie up Mm. until this most recent year because I just heard that it fucking sucked and that it was shitty and that it was garbage Uh, and that it was evil. Yeah, can you hear me?
1: I hear you. I mean, I. I have, uh, I wasn't super into Tim and Eric in in college. I am just, or earlier, uh, in high school or college or kind of when it would have like been really formative for me. I am just now watching on cinema, um, like going through the (laughs) whole on cinema verse, (laughs) but man, I knew, uh, a guy and he's come up on the show, I think, or at least in in our private conversations that, uh, really went hard for Tim and Eric and particularly billion dollar movie. Um, and it does not particularly surprise me that the movie is actually really fucking good. I have not seen it. Um, So it's
0: weird and it's very smart and funny. It's very abrasive, though. So if you're not already a fan of Tim and Eric, it's just you're not going to enjoy it. It's extremely abrasive, uh, but it's like borders on horror comedy. But I just love that they're just they always swing for the fences and they always do the thing they want to do. So that's why yeah. it's my number fourteen. If I had to give a Mercedes valuable player, I'm gonna give it to John, Mr. John C. Riley, who's in that movie. Yo, who is straight up the most versatile actor ever. I don't think it's even close. To be honest with you, the man does Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie, Step Brothers, Chicago, and he's in fucking like Magnolia and all that different shit too. He's like the most div- like the most like versatile actor I think out there. And he plays Takedo in this movie.
1: Definitely, definitely working today. Uh, he's probably the most versatile. He's in a class of his own in terms of, like, how you can just slot that guy in. Um, must be an absolute, like, angel to work with just because he's able to, like, kind of do so many projects like that, you know?
0: Absolutely. So that's my number 14. Number 13. Watch This is the only movie that is post- August, I think, that appears on the list. I watched this movie in November Mm -hmm. of this year. It's from Mm -hmm. 1997. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary directed by S.R. Bindler. You ever heard that name before, Mason? S.R. Bindler? I'm not familiar
1: with S.R. Bindler.
0: Well, get familiar with S.R. Bindler because he directed what is one of the coolest documentaries I've ever seen, that's Hands on a Hard Body. The documentary oh. Hands on a Hard Body. You ever heard of this one?
1: Uh I don't think so.
0: This is a great movie. Uh I wish that I could put it on the actual list itself because it is so good. They were showing it at the new Bev, and I couldn't go. A, I couldn't go, and B it was sold out. And he apparently S. R. Bindler was gonna be there doing sort of a talk back. Okay. I missed it. Chef Dustin was able to attend, so we got to get him on and him fucking talking about what that was like. But it is a documentary about people in a small town in Texas, like east of Dallas, that Mm. sort of area, like right as you're going into whatever that fucking next state is, like right on the border. Mm. Uh, And they are placing their hands on a truck, and it's an endurance competition to see who can last the longest.
1: And oh, whoever okay. wins
0: the competition wins the truck, free of charge, as the prize of the competition. And it is phenomenal. That sounds phenomenal. awesome. I, it's great. It is only available to buy on Apple TV mm-hmm. for $10, but it is fucking worth it. Because then you will have it yeah. forever, and it is rewatchable as hell. So that's my that's my number 13, is Hands on a Hard Body, directed by S.R. Bindler.
1: Mason, you gotta see this movie! Gotta see this movie. Gotta see it. I love this movie. (laughs) I love this
0: movie. Six bags of popcorn. You, (laughs) I love that you're watching that shit now. Uh, Number 12, Mason. Number 12. Yeah. Watch this on April 21st. uh, Smoking weed. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) My 420 is the day after, and that's when I smoke all my weed for the year.
1: Uh, it's like the day after Halloween where like the parents get to eat the leftover candy or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this movie's from 1986. Mm-hmm. It is also a comedy. Mm-hmm. Directed by the man we talked about last episode, Mr. David Byrne. We got True Stories. True
1: Stories! Yo! Hell yeah! Great movie. True Stories. Yeah. So
0: good. So good. Uh, I think our, I'm going to quote our friend Rocky on this one because mm-hmm. I think he said it best. He called it the progenitor, the whatever that before that prototype is, for what would be perfected in Joe Para talks with you.
1: Yes, Uh, yes,
0: and I think Rocky nailed it when he did that when he said that because it's really sweet, heartwarming, odd, and it just kind of sticks in your craw. You just kind of you can't really forget true stories once you've seen it. The David Burnness. All the, we, you know, the, the Texas, that sort of southern charm, very, like, plain weirdness. But, gotta give it... Oh, I didn't even give a Mercedes valuable player for, for hands on a hard body. Just the overall conceit of the competition for sure. that one is sure what sure. I would give the Mercedes valuable player for that. It's an amazing idea, and it really brings out the craziness in people. But, for uh, true stories, I'm going to give my Mercedes valuable player to one of the most... I was going to say disrespected actors of all time, but I don't know if that's even true. He's just never been recognized by a formal body for any of his work, specifically the Academy. That's mm. Mr. John Goodman. Ugh, he is the crux, the heart and soul of true stories. And I think it because of him, it works as well as it does. It's yeah. just such a fun, like, sweet film. So I love I, that movie.
1: His, I mean... We, want, we gushed about David Byrne last episode, but what I kind of like about True Stories is that he acts as, like, the narrator and not as much as, like, the performers, you know? Like, totally. he's not doing a lot of singing of his own music. I guess Wild Wildlife, he's the voice in that, I suppose, because it's like a karaoke competition how that movie comes in. But I think about John Goodman's performance of people like us all the time. We don't want oh, freedom. Awesome. We don't want justice. We just want someone to love. And him, like in that cowboy hat, and and just performing as what's his whatever his character's name is in that. I can't think of it right now, uh, but he's so like sweet and um kind and vulnerable in that in that movie. Um, you're you're absolutely right. It's such a a shame that we take him. For granted, and he's one of the yeah. best. You know, he's another guy like John C. Riley that I think you can slot him into anything, and he'll give absolutely you a, a comedic performance, a, a a dramatic performance, or even something like Barton Fink, where he's really yeah. scary. You yes, know?
0: yes, dude, yes, he's so he's terrifying in Barton Fink, mm-hmm. and it's I'll effortless. show you it's the seen- life of the mice. <laughs> Mason, did I did I did I say to you when we recorded the episode in Chicago that my hotel really reminded me of the apartment complex in Barton Fink? Did I mention I think that? I you to did. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just walking down that hallway, I was just like, "Fuck, I'm gonna get berated by the guy next door because he wants to burn burn yeah. me alive or whatever it is." Well, I could tell uh, you but,
1: some stories.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's my number twelve. And what did you call the number eleven slot last time we did a list? The captain's pick finalist.
1: Is that what I'm thinking? You're thinking of?
0: You said the number eleven. It's whatever that speech and debate term was that you used. I believe it was finalist.
1: Finalist. That's how I'm. That's that's what I'm calling my honorable mentions as the finalists, where there's no like rank between them, but they're all like worth mentioning. Finalists. I got you.
0: Well, my number eleven, and the only reason it's not in the top ten is because this movie is in a very special and select category of film where I truly never want to watch it ever again because mm-hmm. it was so devastating to watch. Yeah. Uh, this movie is from 2013. I watched it on January 26th. It is a mm. documentary. It is directed and produced by our friends over at Very Ape. This is Oxiana, directed by Sean mm. Dunn and produced by Cass Greener. Uh, I'm. This is the only thing I'm going to say about the movie. Mm-hmm. And then I will end my honorable mention segment. Sean told me when I interviewed them on my favorite podcast that Joe Manchin himself reached out to Sean and Cass and said, How much to sweep this movie under the rug. Holy and fuck. And not have it not have it like be released. And they said, fuck off.
1: Holy uh, fuck.
0: It is. I never want to watch it again, but it is devastating and gripping to the nth degree and it is free to watch on YouTube. Yeah. It's like just under 80 minutes long. Do something fun after though cuz it is brutal. Uh but I got to give that and that's like I said the only reason it's actually not on the list is because there's a few, you know, there's movies out there that you just want that to me I'm just going to watch one time and yeah. that's it. And that's one of them.
1: I yeah, not I was going um I can't wait to watch it, like, at 1 o'clock on a Sunday, so when it's over, I can, like, go for a walk and do something else yep. with my date, you know? Um, exactly. Hopefully a sunny Go Sunday. see a friend. Yeah. Go
0: bowling. Yeah. Go see a, you know, go to the fucking, you know, go pe- pe- peer out at Lake Michigan, something. Yeah. Just do something else, because you're going to need it. It's yeah. brutal, but it's you great. Are,
1: yeah, you were braver than I, because I kind of wanted, it it came down to a certain, some, so... Not before I get into my honorable mentions and what's your Mercedes valuable player for Oxiana again?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. It's got to be Sean and Cass. I mean, okay. just their ability to fucking get in there and just give you, there's no bullshit in their documentaries. It's just, yeah. this, is the, this is the truth. This is the reality of this situation. And, you know, it's beautiful to watch. All of their stuff is beautiful to watch. And Oxiana is no exception. And it's, like I said, it's one and done for me. Hopefully you never gotcha. have to watch that again cuz it's that brutal. Um, but that's my Mercedes viable player.
1: Yeah, there was it was coming down to the wire cuz in 2020 I watched uh Come and See for the first time. Uh yep. or 2021 that's, I should say. And that that's one That's in that was, folder as well. Yeah, that one I it's definitely in like my top 20 of the year. And the only reason why it's not in my honorable mentions or on these lists at all is because I was looking at the stuff and a lot of the movies that I have on my list here are either things that I rewatched during the year, or I can see myself coming back to at some point, um, and come and see, I was like, even though I watch it like on, uh, my TV, like on DVD, um, I was still like, just, just, uh, transfixed and transformed with like that movie's particular vision of hell and i'm like great i've seen come and see it is as Brutal and horrifying even more so maybe than i was uh led to believe and now i don't think i'll ever need to see it again yep. <laughs> Um, yep and that's 100%. just kind of yeah, that was just not the vibe. I wanted to go for with my list So you are a braver man than I i've said this a lot a lot i'm sure and if not i've meant it But um, thank you for that there so, here's my honorable mentions. I, don't, I didn't rank my honorable mentions. I just kind of have them as a, a block of just movies that I couldn't quite find space for on my list, but I think are worth mentioning. So, kind of in no particular order, but I'm going to go, uh, I guess, maybe um, from most to least recent. Uh, I don't even think that's true. In any case, um, uh, my only 2020 movie from last year that I watched this year that ended up on the list was uh David Pryor's The Empty Man. Nice. Uh I kind of put that movie on with no expectations of uh I heard it was good, but I kind of went in with like mm, kind of just oh, this is going to be an entertaining uh enough like movie. Um and I just thought that it like the 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 world that it created and the kind of mystery that it had how it went from this kind of slasher movie through like a cult movie into this sort of like identity kind of uh fuck fuck kind of thing <laughs> because uh i thought it was really really cool and unlike uh anything i'd seen in the last couple of years so that has a special place on my list here mvp for that one is james badgedale as the uh empty man himself and also a co-mercedes valuable player to the initial um to the first 20 minutes of that movie which serves as its own like kind of uh short film and old creepy kind of short film uh also on my honorable mentions list here I have uh deep cover Bill Duke's 1990s um noir, neo-noir with uh Lawrence Fishburne uh also about a guy who um get uh, a guy that goes undercover and um uh, a, a, a cop rather a detective who goes undercover and um which ends up revealing uh, parts of his personality that he would rather was trying to run away from. I think that movie is told very sumptuously, um, very um, uh, beautiful. And that it's just kind of an interesting uh, looking movie. It's also the uh, it's the origin of the Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg song, deep cover. Um, But my MVP for this one is the cinematography by, Bohan Bozzelli, I'm not sure. Uh, on the same similar tip, I'm going to shout out uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's The Conformist, which is a movie about um, just the most guileless motherfucker in fascist Italy um, and how he kind of uh, runs away and sells out his soul. Also looks gorgeous. You can just kind of... Um, Followed
0: the uh, St- what is it? Vittorio Starato, right?
1: Storaro, Vittorio yes, who was my MVP yeah. as well. I'm gonna do a back-to-back cinematography MVP on on uh my list here. Cause you can kind of just that's kind of a, that's a movie I think that you could watch silently, you know, um, without um, following the dialogue necessarily. And that's kind of how I absorbed it. Uh again, watching it just on my couch on DVD, but just completely transfixed in into this this um this this world and this guy's like uh, personality basically through Vittorio Sturaro's, um cinematography. Vittorio Storaro, if you're not familiar, shot Apocalypse Now, Reds, The Last Emperor. Um, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, yes, and so that gets a some special. would say
0: the best to ever light sets. I've heard that. Yeah, like the best guy that's ever lit environments. I don't know yeah. if I agree, disagree. I've just heard that. Also, let's not be coy here. You didn't watch it on your couch. The reason you watched it silently is because someone was watching it on their iPad mini and you peered over your seat on the plane to watch it with them. Yeah. They kept asking you to sit back down and
1: you're like, no, I've never seen this. I want to watch it with you. So, so one let's flight be real that here. I took this year, round trip to Indianapolis just to kill two hours. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, man, I hope someone's watching the Bertolucci film, The Conformist yeah. on this flight. It was kind
0: of awesome for you. Anyway, uh, keep going.
1: These, yeah. These last two, uh, this is a movie that I watched um, twice. Uh, a movie that, uh, a, a new Chicago favorite, I'll call it. Uh, and that is um, Running Scared with uh, Billy Crystal and Gregory oh. Hines very fun buddy cop movie takes place in uh chicago in the 80s um that being said there is some not great characterization of the the villains um it's i don't want to necessarily say that it's pro cop but it's definitely you know a buddy cop movie so you're kind of supposed to be like oh these wily fucking guys these loose cannon fucking guys or whatever I still think it's... I, I think it's just a lot of fun because these guys are just, um, you know, assholes. But I think that your mileage may vary on that. But this movie, and this is my MVP, has a tremendous climax at the James R. Thompson Center, which we didn't stop by in our Chicago tour. And next time you're around, I want to take you over there because it's just this huge glass government building uh, in the center of the loop. It's where... Um, City Hall used to be. No, that's not right. In any case, it's it's a it's this tremendous bit of architecture. These like kind. It's like all glass, all shiny, um, super echoey. It's a great place to just be in and look at. And there's an awesome action sequence uh, at the end of the movie there. Um, so that gets my or uh, honorable mention. And the last one that I want to shout out uh, is maybe the most I'll say um, obscure and kind of biggest surprise for me. Uh, it's this movie from 1980 called Fade to Black, uh, and I bought this movie on um, a Vinegar Syndrome sale, so you can buy this on, you know, boutique Blu-ray or whatever. And here is, there's a couple things I want to uh, read here. One is the, um, so here's the synopsis. A shy, lonely film buff embarks on a killing spree against those who browbeat and betray him, all while stalking his idol, a Marilyn Monroe lookalike. Uh, and this is the tagline for this movie. Eric Binford lives for the movies. Sometimes he kills for them too. Um and it's this great like entry into the like obsessive loner canon of movies. So like your your um maybe you're like your good times or your your taxi driver, but it's about like a uh antisocial um film nerd, basically. Which is maybe, you know, the audience for this movie is other antisocial film nerds. And it's about this guy who loses his entire, loses his entire personality in the movies and adopts these like kind of, um, uh, uh, these personas of these classic film characters. You know him if you live in Los Angeles, it's a great movie that is like filmed on location in 1980s Los Angeles. Um, he runs into an asshole like film producer that steals his idea at one point the climax takes place the, the most uh, the climax of this movie takes place like, on the roof of the man's Chinese theater which like I'm watching this and being like how the fuck did you film that up there I yeah. guess things were different in the early 80s uh, but it's anchored by this really like uh, uh, creepy but also sympathetic performance by uh, Dennis Christopher as Eric Binford and that's my Mercedes valuable player like if you didn't he such does such a good job of playing this guy's like loneliness and sadness and also his like the inevitable break that that comes with this with this guy here Um, so that's one it's probably on Tubi you know most of these vinegar syndromes are movies are on Tubi um, if you don't want to put down like 25 30 bucks for a blu-ray for that for you've never seen if you're a normal person and not a freak like me um but yeah. that movie is really worth um looking for and uh seeking out i think um and that is you saw
0: the yet. description of that at the on the vinegar syndrome website and you said well it's you don't get a chance to look into the future very often but when, <laughs> yeah, you, when, yeah. when you do you have to and that's what made you <laughs> yeah portrait. just
1: it's it's just that yeah it, it is literally just me doing that meme I'm like, wow, he's just like me, you know. But yeah, actually, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but it actually but actually, <laughs>
1: I'm just giving you a hard time, man. all of you.
0: I know, I know. Okay, good. I don't want you to. I don't. I want to be around when you break. Um, I <laughs> don't. I don't want. No, I don't come to the podcast tomorrow. <laughs> I'm gonna be on top of the music box. Need <laughs> you to come get me. I think the only one of those that I even a little bit scene is I watched the beginning of The Empty Man one night and I remember so the, that first 20 minutes Just that first 20 minutes and then I fell yeah. asleep so I didn't mm-hmm. maybe I saw more but I don't remember anything other than the first 20 minutes so I can't yeah. really comment on the honorable mentions other than it was going in a very interesting direction and I would like to rewatch it or watch the rest of it yeah. soon sooner rather than later uh, yeah. because I think that kind of horror is fun when it, it is. becomes more than just horror for the horror's sake you know so it's it's horror
1: but it's like horror but i feel like in a very kind of like classic sense where it's more about just like dread and this like weird unknowable situation like i i'm not familiar with like hp lovecraft's like work other than the adaptations of his work that i've seen you know like reanimator or whatever Um, But there's just, there's that very, like, kind of, like, identity loss sense that goes through that movie um, that I really, really like. And also, David Pryor is an acolyte of David Fincher, so it at least, like, is told visually very, 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 uh, very well. Um, If that's a, you know, a nudge in one direction for someone listening to this, I would say uh, keep that in mind while watching it.
0: Well, Mason, now that we're almost an hour (laughs) into the show... Let's kick off our actual lists. You start us off with your number 10.
1: All right. My number 10, uh, Christian Moonju's 2007 film, four months, three weeks, two days. So the subject nice. matter of the movie, four months, three weeks, two days, is the cutoff point uh, in, uh, I think, late Soviet era, um, Belarus are hungry. I didn't do quite all my research for this. Um, before, you know, uh, uh, you can't, like, have an abortion anymore or before, like, crosses a certain threshold and it's about this like kind of um this this rush to get this this character this pregnant woman uh to do this like kind of back alley for lack of a better term uh abortion um it takes place i think all within a couple hours it's more or less a real one of those real time kind of movies um but just whenever you think that the movie has um Gotten to like the depths of how depraved this this place and this time and these people the, the this environment has made people. It goes deeper. There's almost no room to breathe. Um, it's one of the movies on this list that I watched um, or had like kind of an idea of in my mind of it being just like good and this kind of like touch point. Um, like, mo- like thing of like, like world cinema or whatever, um, ever since about 2007, uh, when I saw it reviewed on at the movies that Ebert and Roper, but Ebert was recovering from cancer. I forget who the, the co-host on, uh, uh, with Richard Roper was, but in any case they went super hard for this movie in 2007 and it kind of stuck in my craw as like an important cultural, like an important, uh, a uh, bit of like a, um, foreign film or whatever. Um, not that it was the first exposure to that, but just something that stayed in my mind is like, Oh, this is like a big, important piece of like modern, um, contemporary world cinema or whatever. And watched it, uh, with uh, former roommate, Colin, uh, just, he got it from the library and we put it on and I was captivated. Here's, I just kind of copied and pasted my letterboxd review uh, into my notes here, um, it is tense, tight, focused and gripping, a darkly ironic thriller about the casual cruelty of living in a declining state and all the transactions and lies that quote unquote help you survive. Uh sometimes movies you hear are good are actually better than you could expect. Um I think the the script in this of this for this movie is so fucking tight. Uh it moves like a goddamn bullet. There is no mo- room to breathe and it is, you know, like I said, just about the the transactions that you do to have to survive in a in a place where the environment, the government, just the world at large is failing you, just tremendous. I know it's one of producer Carter Moon's favorite movies, um, and I really think it's worth seeking out. Have you seen this one? No. What's your Mercedes Valuable Player? Uh, the writer director Christian Moonju. I'm not quite sure how to say it, uh, but I think the script in this is just so tight and focused. Um, and the part of the, the the element that sticks with me the longest I think I saw it in like April or March um, but just just a tremendous bit of um, kind of screenwriting I think
0: I've not seen it can't comment on the movie but my t- number 10 pick mm-hmm. kind of not gonna say I'm gonna say a little similar actually okay. in some regards mm-hmm. and I think you've seen this movie so you probably will agree with me on this I watched this on April 29th this movie came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. It is a drama-slash-legal thriller. Mm-hmm. And it is directed by Todd. Give him a Haynes. It's Mr. Dark Waters. Dark
1: Water. Yeah, great movie. Great movie.
0: The marketing for this movie, when it had come out, it must have fucking sucked. Because I saw the trailer for this and thought... Why the fuck would I ever want to see that movie? That looks so yeah. boring and so long and, like, old for old people is what I thought. Like, I was like, maybe my grandparents would fucking watch that shit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what came over me on April 29th, 2021, but I was like, let's throw fucking dark waters on. Let's see what's going on here. I'm a Todd Haynes guy. Generally think he's a really good director. Mm-hmm. And I was not disappointed. In fact, it, like you said earlier, it exceeded my expectations. It is yeah. dark and moody, and there's a great interiority to all the characters. And it's shot in a very like artful, expressionistic way, while still being like an entertaining piece of filmmaking at the same time. Which mm. I think is a really big challenge. I feel like people usually tend to crash one way or the other. You know, it's like yeah. this is a piece of entertaining filmmaking, or this is a piece of art filmmaking. He yeah. threads the needle here in such a great way. The cast is great. Bill Camp, your favorite actor in the whole world. Mason is in this movie in a major yeah, way. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo's great. Tim Robbins is great. Who plays his wife in the movie? Do Anne you know Hathaway. off the top of your head? Oh, yeah, that's right. It is Anne Hathaway. Yeah, she's great. Everyone in this movie is doing a great job. But I have to give my mercedes Valuable Player to Mr. Todd Haynes himself. Yeah. Because I think in the hands of a different director I'm not going to say a worse or a better director But just in the hands of someone else This Mm could have been a fucking snooze fest And just would have run on cable for 25 years you know. And dads are like That's actually a pretty good movie And then you sit down with them And it's fucking boring as shit And they take out all the fucking curse words And the vaginas and shit Not that there's vaginas in dark waters But this is a great movie If you thought to yourself when this came out Why would I ever bother with this? I'm telling you it's worth 2 hours. And it's yeah. it is. It's 2 hours and 7 minutes. It's worth it. It's gripping as hell. Uh and in the same way that 4 months what is I'm sorry, it was 4 months 3 weeks three 2 three days weeks, two that's days. The name. Yeah. In the same way that that talks about an insane political and corporate state Dark Waters talks about that too. It's kind of you know borders on Cynical, but also borders on hopeful. It gives you a little bit of both. It's sort of a bittersweet yeah. type yeah. of situation, which is really cool. So that's my number 10.
1: I uh, really love Dark Waters. And to your point, um, did that movie come out in 2019? Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. And I think this that the, the movie The Report came out the same year as well, which is yes. also a really... Um, it, it, I think Todd Haynes is the absolute... The fact that you're focused on the ton hatesness of it, I think, is essential to why that movie works so well and why it's so totally good and and super underrated. Um, because, like, I'm just thinking about how dry and straightforward um, the report was. <laughs> yeah, uh, I and- turned
0: that movie off after about 35 minutes. I said, "Fuck this." You know what I think would be a great double feature? If you've mm-hmm. seen this other film,
1: Dark Waters and The Insider. Michael Mann's the insider. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. More so than four months, three weeks, two days, just because I think, like, there's a... With four months, three weeks, two days, it's just, like, so bleak and so dark. Um, There's not, like, you know... You you do leave Dark Waters being, like... uh, Dark Waters and the insiders are both kind of, like, yeah, like... Maybe it's pie-eyed or whatever, but yeah, one person, one really determined person can stand up to a fuck. Like, it's a David and Goliath kind of thing at the end. And three Absolutely. Week, four months, three weeks, two days is more like, you're fucked, you're fucked, sorry, sorry, what do you want me to do? You're <laughs> fucked, sorry, 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 you're fucked.
0: <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta listen to the fucking McDonald's flute. You're fucked. Yeah. Uh, give me your number nine, you freak. All right,
1: so Noah, get the the drop ready for the... The one going down. Okay. You want me to play it now? Play, play it now, please. Yeah.
0: Biggest drag.
1: All right. Wow. So this is, I'm going to be a little stinker with this one because this is technically a short and it's technically uh, a, it aired on the BBC, but it was, um, it stuck with me for months. I rewatched it. I rewatched it this afternoon, actually, and I had it in my top five, but after doing some moving around, I had to put it in the number nine slot. Uh, This is Armando Iannucci's Clinton, his struggle with dirt uh, from 1998, I believe. Um, I watched this also with former roommate uh, Colin uh, after we had watched The Death of Stalin, one of your favorite movies, (laughs) and we just had um, and we just like went onto YouTube to try to find just like some sort of similar to still get that Iannucci itch scratched, Uh, and we came across this, which neither of us had heard of ahead of time. So it's, this is one that kind of, um, this is in the Roger Ebert sort of like, I want to just really propagandize for this. Um, The sort of central conceit of Clinton, his struggle with dirt, and it's because it's made in 1998, it's a really sort of fascinating, almost alternate history um, where the, imagine if, the Monica Lewinsky scandal was like the defining event of the last 30 years of American history. I'm sure it crosses like their top 10 at this point now, basically. But this movie kind of, you can watch it like if nine 11 didn't happen, if COVID-19 didn't happen, if the Iraq war, if Afghanistan, if Enron, if all the stock market crashes didn't happen, what would American culture be like 30 years in the future? It's it's sort of made from the perspective of a filmmaker in 2028, interviewing the key players of the Clinton scandal um, and looking back on it. And the kind, the, it's, the sort of thesis of it or the, the, the satire here is that the, the Lewinsky scandal broke down American language to a point where there's North America, the North American language is a version of English that still needs like, Translation on the BBC basically um it 's not su- it 's thirty minutes long it 's super but it 's also fucking hilarious. Um, my MVP for this is the editor uh, Tom ask, who this is his only credit on IMDB as far as I could tell um, the way that he uses existing um, like news footage underneath Ianucci 's um, sort of commentary. Um, to create this like sideways fucking, um, world where thing like this sideways fucking world in this vision of 2028, um, is so fucking funny to me, makes me bust a gut, even though I've seen it three times. Um, there's a lot of fucking little twists and turns that this takes here. It's on YouTube. It's worth a watch. Um, I think that even you, Noah Marger would like this. I don't know if you've actually watched it or not. Uh, but Clinton, his struggle with dirt, my number nine pick. Does that piss you off that I As, chose that? No, it doesn't, because I don't give a fuck.
0: Um, <laughs> maybe I'll watch it. I've never seen it. I'm not a huge, you know, obviously we covered Death of Stalin and In the Loop for some fucking reason. We did both. Um, and I don't like either very much. I've seen basically the first season of Veep, and I thought it was pretty good. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe, you know, maybe I'd like it. Maybe I would. I'm not the biggest Iannucci guy in the fucking world that's Mm. mason that (laughs) happens to be mason instead um so i don't know i do love finding a good short though i do love a good short it's definitely on the longer side for shorts you know i try to find stuff that's like 12 minutes or less to be like Mm. yes bro you know Um, so maybe one day i don't know but i'm gonna be honest not really a priority for me but i'm glad you liked it so shout out number nine Watch this on January 28th, 2021. This movie's from 1968. You can call it a comedy. Don't really know. Ex- I guess it's a comedy. Mm. I don't really know what you're supposed to call this movie because it's nuts. Directed by the late, great Mr. Robert Downey Sr. Uh, this is No More Excuses from 1968. Yeah. Uh,. In late 2020 and throughout basically like the first half or first third of 2021, I was doing movie clubs with my buddies Cole and Chef Dustin, who's been on the Mm -hmm. show. And I think they were doing some like Robert Downey Jr. or excuse me, Robert Downey Sr. stuff on Criterion. And I was curious because I had seen Putney Swope and -hmm. I really liked Putney Swope in college. And I'm like, let's try and look into some Robert Downey Sr. shit. So I said to Dustin, because they're short, let's watch Babbo seventy three. And no more excuses because they're yeah. both there. We both fucking hated Babo seventy three so much; it's like borderline unwatchable. It's just mm. so hard to watch and not funny. But this movie, no more excuses. I don't have a lot to say about it because it is very hard to explain, and I wouldn't even dare try and explain what this is. But here's well, here's a couple things that are in this movie. There is a monkey <laughs> <There's> <laughs> in a monkey. this movie. Uh, there is a reenactment of the assassination of James A. Garfield. Mm-hmm. That also happens in this movie. Uh, there is actual documentary footage of young people being interviewed about the dating scene in New York in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And that is just some of the things that are in this movie. Yeah, It feels like the progenitor of Adult Swim in a lot of ways. That sort of Adult Swim... Craziness, you know that just that experimental thing. We're gonna try something, see if it works. This is a, just a great experiment of comedy and editing and filmmaking, and it hasn't left my mind since. Uh, it pushed boundaries. I feel like it just feels inspiring to watch this movie. Yeah, it seems like a guy who just was really trying. Maybe not even try. He was just wanting to do what he wanted to do, and he didn't care about convention in that way. And that's what mm-hmm. I really respect about Robert Downey Sr. Who unfortunately did pass away earlier this year, who is also my Mercedes valuable player for this. Also the monkey. <laughs> I'll give it to the monkey too. Because the monkey's fucking awesome. Just the music choices in this. Yeah. It's it's a vision of a very I think that's a it's it's kind of a difficult thing to have a vision of going into, you know, because it's so all over the place. But the way that this movie's cut together and the music choices and just what you're seeing on screen, it's a riot. So, number nine, No More Excuses from 1968, directed by Mr. Robert Downey Sr. I know you've seen this. You've seen this, Mason.
1: I have, yeah. I have that, um, the Eclipse box set, the Up All Night with Robert Downey Sr. Um, I don't think I've seen Bobo 073 in that, actually. And I don't, yeah, because I've seen, because that has Putney Swope in it, seen Putney Swope. Uh, I've seen Two Tons of Turquoise to Taos tonight, uh, and I have seen No More Excuses. And I'll just co-sign everything that you said with a big old stamp there that says, cosine um it cosine. is kind of hard to like um quantify in a way uh and explain exactly what's going on it's a lot of um it's uh, i don't know if it's it's i i would just it's 62 minutes if it's still on the criterion channel watch it or if it's maybe if it's even on youtube track it down there um but it's this really interesting sort of mosaic of um Life in late sixty life in late sixties uh, America. Um, I think I watched it in twenty nineteen when I was really on a big like experimental movies kick, uh, and I yeah. was really 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 uh, taken with it. Did I review that on Letterboxd? I did, I did.
0: Swag, good for you for reviewing that some that fucking that fucker.
1: Um, you want to go to your number eight? My number what? eight. My number eight. Uh, This is another one where I'm like, I can't believe this movie was actually better than its reputation. And that is John Patrick Shanley's Moonstruck. Have you seen Moonstruck? Not the whole thing. Uh, Okay. Um, This one I watched on a chilly January evening, afternoon. Not quite sure. I think it was January 11th, 2021. And I just, uh, people have been telling me up, down, left, right, and center how good this movie was and i just put it on and boy oh boy i was a smitten kitten for this fucking movie it is so funny it's so sweet it's it's so magic i think is just the word that i come back to for this movie um i think it's really um honest and true about just like how sometimes it comes down to just like Uh, how weird love can make you act sometimes um, and also just like how uh, uh, weird love can make you act sometimes. Um, It's, I love how the characters and the, and the relationships move around on the movie's chessboard is one thing I wrote like kind of in my notes here Um, because it's, you just fall in love with this fucking movie. I just felt so hard for this movie. Uh, My MVP for this uh, is actually going to be though Olympia Dukakis, who plays the matriarch, uh, Cher's mom in this movie. Uh, she won an Oscar for her performance in this, so did Cher. Uh, but she has this very like kind of, um, wounded almost assuredness or this, uh, uh, the way that she plays her character. And there's a, a, a centerpiece scene between her and, um, John Mahoney, where she exhibits like a, a strength of of character and personality that I think is kind of um, sometimes can be rare in movies and in romantic comedies. Um, if you haven't seen Moonstruck, definitely please, please, please watch it. Walk, don't run to it. Uh, it's just it's magic, 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 magic. That's all I got to say about it.
0: John Mahoney is Frazier's dad, right? That's that yes. guy. Mm-hmm. He's so good. I get him. Just by name, I get him mixed up with uh, actor Matt Malloy. Do you know Matt Malloy? No, I thought you were gonna say John Mulaney, though. <laughs> I don't know. I know what the f- I know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> okay, I know what the fuck I'm doing over here when it comes to John Mulaney. Let me look up Matt. Matt Malloy's a great. You oh you know what? I th- know you know who Matt Malloy is. Um, he's so such a good actor, but I I'm haven't seen Moonstruck all the way through. Uh... He's Matt Malloy is so I just love him. He's such a good actor. Anyway, Matt Malloy, the flautist. Yep, that's who I'm talking about. You nailed it. Um, my number eight, mm-hmm. Mason. Hmm. Again, this is a January movie. Watched it uh, on January 22nd, 2021. Mm-hmm. This movie's from 1995, and it's okay. a western. Okay. Directed okay. by, I used to be a hater of this man. And I am no longer a hater of this man, in large part to this movie and another movie we've covered on the show. Um, <laughs> what the fuck is it called? Night on Earth. This is Dead Man, directed by Jim Jarmusch. And Mason, this gets. Biggest climb. This gets my biggest climb award. Biggest oh, no! God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. This gets my biggest climb award because up until yesterday, I didn't even have it on the list.
1: Yo. I had put it sort
0: of away, and I was like, I don't know if I can have room for it, but I ultimately decided that I think it's stuck with me more so than the movie that was in the number eight hole. I don't even remember what was in the number eight hole, and that kind of just goes to show you that I made the right choice, I think, to be yeah. honest with you, swapping it out. Uh, like I said, I used to be a Jarmusch hater. Don't even overtly like Westerns, to be honest with you. They're not a mm-hmm. like genre that I really like pine for, uh, but this is an astounding piece of spiritual filmmaking. By a man yeah. who really, it's kind of magical what he does on a certain level. You either like him or you don't, I think, Jarmusch. You're either mm. like kind of with what he's about or you're not. And I kind of am about what he's doing at this point in my life. I really do like him as a filmmaker. Uh, it's more or less, and again, I don't want to talk about the actual plot too, too much because I do feel like this is just one that's worth going into as blind as possible so you can get the most out of it. But it's kind of about a man's un... Let me say that differently. A man goes on a quest to transcend the physical world, but he doesn't start out the movie knowing that that's what he needs to do. He kind of yeah. figures it out as the movie's going on. And everything about this movie is top-notch. The cast yeah. is top-notch. Robbie Muller's cinematography, black-and-white photography, mm-hmm. is so, so good. The locations, the art direction. Like, when he first enters the town of... Uh, Machine. What is it called? Machine, yeah, Machine. Machine when he first enters the town of Machine you are like this sucks <laughs> this place is yeah. so bad and it's got that western feel but it's also got that like weird heightened reality industrial thing going on the world is so interesting one of Robert
1: Mitchum's last roles he has a brief last, role in yeah this. I think his last ever I because I think he died two years later
0: damn he's yeah. great John Hurt's great uh, Johnny Depp is great all of those people are great but the thing that elevates this movie for me, I got a co-Mercedes valuable player here for for Dead Man,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Gary Farmer as nobody, yeah, is so fucking good in this. It's like I can't believe they found him to do this. It's yeah. so it's perfect casting, and he does such a good job as sort of William Blake Johnny Depp's character's guide throughout all this. Mm-hmm. And he's like a tough love son of a bitch to Johnny Depp too. He's I like, love him, you yeah. know. He's so fucking good in this. And then, if I had to force rank the Co Mercedes valuable players, I would put this above Gary Farmer. Mm-hmm.
1: But it's Neil Young's score I'm in this. S- I'm so glad. I'm so glad you pointed that out. That score is incredible.
0: It's unbelievable. And you know what makes it even more incredible? If you've never, if you a, if you've never heard it, and you're about to find out this fact, or if you've heard it and didn't know this fact, he improvised that. Mm-hmm. He watched a cut of the movie and just improvised the whole score. Yeah. I can't believe it. It's so beautiful. It's it unreal. Yeah. God it's like, damn, dude. It's,
1: yeah, it's like the, the Miles Davis score for, um what is it? Uh, to Elevator the to the Gallows. Yeah, where he, where just yeah. Jim Jarmusch played the movie on a screen in front of Neil Young and he moved between like guitars and uh, like organs and stuff like that. But it's just, it, it's just... Uh, just, just so, uh, just the. I listened to that, that. score yeah. on its own. It's that yeah. good. It's just so listen good. To
0: it, throw it on. Listen to it all the way through. So fucking good. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like westerns, this is a movie actually for you. It actually I think is for people who don't like westerns. Yes.
1: Um, the only so I've seen that's another movie that I haven't seen since college. I watched it in my um, philosophical issues of in film class, and my favorite thing about oh, that class, which was probably my favorite single class that I took in college was the professor used film to illustrate philosophical concepts, like kind of the history of philosophy uh, through different movies. And I think that we, so we watched Shane to kind of talk about like structuralism and formalism or or, or things like that, whatever, just like kind of basic philosophy. And then we watched Dead Man for like postmodernism and stuff like that because that movie is actively deconstructing Western tropes. Um and sort of uh American taboo and 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 things like that, but like aside from it's like kind of heady or aspirations or how you can head read that like as a sort of heady th- movie, it's so um sumptuous and and mythical and mystical, um and I th- genuinely transcendent actually it's it's a it's a brilliant brilliant movie, um and I'm glad that it left a major impression on you.
0: Yeah, dude, this is great. It's. It might be my favorite Jarmush, if to be to be honest with you. Like it's yeah. so good. It might be my favorite of his.
1: I only I uh have you seen Only Lovers Left Alive? No, I haven't. Okay. I really that was I think the first Jarmush that I saw, so it just like kind of sits very heavy in my in my emotional kind of memory. Um but put I haven't rewatched that movie in 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 years. Um but uh great choice. Dead Man
0: you gotta love it you gotta love, love it, it but Mason we can't yes. stay on the number eights forever those crazy no. eights we gotta move on to number seven what the fuck is your number seven my man
1: so my number seven um this is the only new to me movie that I ha- um uh, like the only new to me movie that I saw in theaters that's on my list here uh actually with with with, with wait no that's not true Fuck. Never mind. Fuck is, dude. <laughs> fuck. Uh, I quit. Alright, podcast over. bye um, right, can I
0: drop can I drop the damn McDonald's jingle for that? I feel like you gotta get McDonald's fluted. I gotta get one, McDonald's
1: for that, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, great, go for it. Um, so this is, uh so it's uh in two thousand three. I watched this uh in uh May of this year, April or May of this year, after I had been boosted, juiceded uh, or not boosted juiced, my second Pfizer shot um when the music box theater was having a back to the movies sort of um uh, uh a series that they were doing just movies about movies for for the most part um they had Joe Dante's Matinée I didn't make it out to see Matinée um but and I'm really kicking myself for that uh but there was three movies that I saw in that series two of which I had seen ahead of time one was The Tingler, uh, the Vincent Price-William Castle movie um, that's actually shot at the what's now known as Braindead Cinemas. Um, uh, yep. It was a really fun little uh, horror movie there, but I had seen before, so it can't be on this list. The other movie that I saw was Jacques Tati's Playtime, which was uh, b- being able to see that on the big screen was just uh, and in a, a crowd of people. Tremendous, tremendous experience. Um, but the third movie that I saw was from 2003, Directed by Siming Lang and it's Goodbye Dragon Inn. Uh and this is also so uh have you seen Goodbye Dragon Inn or any Siming Lang? Mm, only Siming Lang I've seen is Rebels of the Neon God. Gotcha. Okay. So Goodbye Dragon Inn uh is a movie that takes place in the last at the la- at the last screening of a movie theater in uh China while they're playing this this film Dragon Inn. Um, and there's not much of a plot per se. You're not really following, like you're following certain characters, things are happening, but you're more just existing in the space with the people that are inhabiting it on its last day. And it has this very kind of haunted ghostly feel to it where, you're not quite sure watching it even if you're seeing like corporeal people act and interact in front of you or if you are actually seeing ghosts come through here um, I saw a letterboxd review that compared it that said something like I don't know what the last day at a church would feel like but it would be something like this uh, and this is a movie that just li- lived in my head as um sort of more of a, a vibe or an atmosphere where I will just Either be on my way to the theaters or leaving the theaters, and just this the 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 feeling of that this movie gives me will just like return. Um, and that's kind of uh, what my Mercedes valuable player is actually is the movies in this one, and not just the the act of seeing a plot characters happening in front of you, but the ritual of going to a place, being in a dark room, being surrounded by images and other people. Um, and even when you're in that space by yourself, um, there've been a couple times this year when I've went to a movie where it's just me and the audience or one other person. Uh, I think even the first movie that I saw in theaters or first new movie that I saw in theaters was King Kong versus Godzilla, which no spoilers, probably the worst movie I saw in the- <laughs> this year, but I was the only yeah, person sucks. Yeah, not good, but I was the only person in that like 9:45 or whatever screening that I went to. Um, 9 45 a.m p.m oh p.m okay yeah it was at the logan theater i walked up there um to go see it um but it just gets you like movies and like will be projected on the screen whether or not there's anybody in the theater to watch it just like if it's on the schedule it's gonna happen um which like creates a sort of like uh ethereal kind of almost liminal atmosphere um, to the experience of watching a movie, and to like just adds like what a movie, I guess, is. Um, it's a movie that I kind of felt more than I thought about and just like lived in my heart and my soul f- for the last seven or so months or ever since I've seen it. Um, I don't, and I'm, I saw it on a 35 millimeter print. I don't know how it would have hit me if I had I watched this movie like on a DVD or even a Blu ray or something. Um, But just seeing this movie in the theaters was a really kind of transportive and almost transcendent experience. Um, And for that, it is a spot on my list.
0: I have only heard like incredible things about this movie from like many people. Like, love, love, love this movie. So it's been on my list. Have not seen it. Like I said, I've only seen Rebels of the Neon God, which I wasn't crazy about, to be totally honest with you. Totally transparent. I wasn't crazy about it. I thought it was pretty good. There's some cool stuff in there, um, but I don't know if I was actually on in the right with the right vibe uh, of Sai Ming Ling when I first threw that one on. I think that was his debut feature as well, so I have to imagine it only got more meditative and more contemplative and more liminal uh, as time marched on. So, but that is like a pretty amazing movie to go back and see like right yeah. away. You know, once you got your shots, pretty cool fucking experience, Jeff. I gotta say. Pretty cool experience. So
1: Jealous! You know what the first movie that I saw back in theaters was, actually? Also at the music box? Uh, was it Can't Hardly Wait? I, I kind of cheated. I saw this, I think, this Sunday before I was going to get my second Pfizer shot, so I was being a little risky with it. Yep. But it was Widows. <laughs>
0: My number seven. I'm moving on. I don't give a fuck. Moving on. We got a lot to get through. Watched uh, this, this is in August, August fifteenth. Probably the it's the latest I watched something that made the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before I came back to L.A., like the week before. This movie's from 1970. Mm-hmm. It's a documentary. Mm-hmm. Directed by D.A., the cheapest confectionery west of the Mississippi, Penny Baker. <laughs> Stupid. Fucking stupid. But what's not stupid is this movie, and that is the original cast album, Company. Yo, it okay. Is so phenomenal. It is 58 minutes long, and it is juiced for 58 minutes. This is a juiced film. Uh, I don't know really a lot about Company, to be honest with you. I was actually mm. FaceTiming friend of the show, Sienna Kay, the other day. She actually got to see Company in New York. Yeah. when she was there briefly, which is she said was a dream come true. But this brief film, again, it's less than an hour long, tells you everything you need to know about perseverance during artistic pursuit, pursuits and just sort of in general, collaboration, and the process. Yeah, This movie shows you process. It's more and more concerned with process than it is with product, which I feel like is kind of the most important thing anyway at the end of the day as an artist mm-hmm. is process. It emphasizes that over and over again, and there's legends abound in this movie. You Get to see Steven Sondheim in this film, RIP. You get to see Hal Prince in this film. Mm. You get to see Dean. What is his name? Is it Dean Jones, who Dean originated Jones, the, yeah. character. the original, yeah. the original
1: Bobby? And didn't they fire him like between when this album was recorded and when the show like started? Like, do I have that right? I don't That's think he's a the great guy that question. Did, I don't know. I don't think he's the guy that... like he, he was hired to be Bobby at first, but I don't think he was the guy that ended up being Bobby. Whatever. I'm going to look this up.
0: Do some do some googs on that one, my man. Uh, but my personal MVP, my personal mercedes player in this is a woman that I first heard about from my yaya way back in the day. My yaya loves theater. This woman has been alive. Not my yaya, but she's been alive. But this woman my yaya mentioned has... Been, was alive for so, so long and passed away only within the last couple years, and that is Elaine Stritch.
1: Yes. Whose
0: performance of... I cannot fucking remember the name. Here's uh, to the, the ladies who lunch. The ladies who lunch, yes. Uh, unbelievable. It's heroic. It's superlative. It is yeah. amazing. She's one of the last people in there. They're recording the cast album of Company basically all in a day because it's cheaper to do it that way. Who would have thought? And <laughs> it's amazing to watch her bring it all these takes can you do can you just give us one more they keep saying and she keeps fucking digging her heels into the ground and just belts it out of the water yeah she is heroic in that the heroic impulse flew through her body when she was doing the ladies who lunch and so for that she is my mercedes valuable player this is what the letterbox description of original cast album company is Stephen Sondheim's musical company opened on Broadway in the spring of 1970, and the tradition dictates the cast recording is done the first Sunday after opening night. D.A. Pennebaker, the now legendary documentarian, filmed the production of the original cast recording, the back and forth between Sondheim, the performers, and the dynamic of trying to record live performance. See this movie as soon as you can. Yeah. That's it.
1: I haven't seen this movie all the way through, but I love the musical company. Uh, I I really do. I listen to being alive kind of in my in moments when I need to just get just get myself juiced for being alive and kind of align myself with with what I want in this life. Um, but I have seen the Elaine Stritch section of this, uh, this musical, and it really is incredible how she just, um, like you said, sticks her feet in the fucking mud and just belts at the top of her lungs Everybody rise, you know, um, at the end of this grueling, grueling fucking day. Um, Have you seen the documentary now parody of this movie? Great
0: question. I don't think so. I've not seen a lot of documentary now.
1: Yeah. But this is uh, the. it's uh, really funny. It's called co-op. And uh, I think it's Paula Pell plays the Elaine Stretch character. And she like has to leave to get like her eyes dilated or something. <laughs> uh, it's really funny. I, John Mulaney plays um, uh, Sondheim. Uh, Richard Kind is in it. It's really, uh, I rewatched that particular um, documentary now, bit with my sister, because my sister's not a huge movie person, but she is a huge musical person. And we can only like, yeah. this is like kind of an intersection. Is, is that, that particular uh, episode of documentary now? Um, but that movie has actually been on my list for a long time. And if it's still on the Criterion channel, uh, I should watch it. Uh, here's what I found. Um, uh, Larry Kurtz uh, is uh, uh, replaced Dean Jones in company, actually. It says uh, on Larry Kurtz's Wikipedia page, Soon after opening night, director Harold Prince released Jones from his contract and substituted Kurtz. I don't know what happened between the two of those guys where he was just like, get out of there. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a fickle business, Broadway is.
0: Life's a bitch and then you die. That's why we yeah. get high because you never yeah, know yeah, when yeah. you're going to go.
1: Yeah, Mason, come on.
0: Give us your next one, baby. Number six for
1: you. My number six for me. All right. This is Noah. I could not yep. choose between these two movies so I've got a tie here for you in my number six slot but this is okay yeah it's just against the rules but no worry keep (laughs) going So the reason why is because these two movies I think are two sides of the same thematic coin and this is my work sucks I know double feature Side one of this coin heads tails however you want to call it is Paul Schrader's blue collar inside two of this coin is clock watchers um, so the reason, so this has been a shitty year for me, just work wise. <laughs> I have, uh, I left a bad job that I was in, tried to get set work in, uh, Chicago here and it was just kind of, uh, still very difficult. I've been temping for money the last eight or so weeks and work just fucking sucks. Uh, blue collar, uh, I watched on DVD, uh, from the library and if you're not familiar, it was the first movie that Paul Schrader directed, and it concerns these uh, union auto workers who raid their union safe, basically. And you hear that, and you think the pitch is like it's going to be kind of like a, a thief level sort of heist movie. Um, and it is, but it's also about how the structure of capitalism, um, even with this union protection, um, pits these these workers the the kind of main trio of Yafet Koto Richard Pryor and Harvey Keitel against each other until they have like until they are sort of put into the position where they're at each other's throats and um, you know it's kind of an escape there's they're still stuck in this sort of inescapable system here clock watchers is as i like to say about how there's no thing as a work-life balance um when you're just working a shitty fucking office job uh it's about four attempts played by lisa kudrow tony collette parker posey and one actress whose name is escaping me right now but how they um the, how the fact that their attempts at this like kind of anonymous 90s cubicle farm kind of place um just kind of fucks with their their friendship their relationship just makes like kind of devolves them of their humanity and and how they're just like kind of put into these desperate straits it's very funny i think there's a great that movie has a great personality um but they're it's kind of like i said the stubble the stubble side of work sucks i know i'm gonna give mercedes valuable players um to these two movies separate ones uh mercedes valuable player for blue collar is Yafek koto um he is the uh, most reasonable person kind of in that movie the most like sort of self-assured the one that has kind of the least to lose and of course loses the most um by the end of the movie and in clock watchers i'm giving it to parker posey who has a very um empathetic performance in this movie as just someone who is so completely lost in her life um, that she doesn't really even know how to stand up for herself. Uh, really, both of them are worth checking out. Try um, there, you're ne- getting a little bit different kind of energies and vibes from them. But if you're sick of your fucking <laughs> job yeah, and need no a way out, no fucking kidding,
0: no fucking kidding. You're like, your separate f- vibes from Paul Schrader and Jill Spreacher? Yeah, 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 I would yeah. say so.
1: But there's a kind, um, but there's a a like uh, uh, a a an honesty about just like how working life fucking sucks and that is um that's why they have a spot on my list here (laughs) um i have not seen clock watchers but it is
0: on my list i've seen glowing reviews from folks on that one i have seen blue collar but i watched it uh in august of 2018 the summer before my senior year of college so i think i would have a much different In the p in um, in
1: the that BM was the, was, era, in the BM era, the before Mason, <laughs> the bowel movement era, whatever you want to call it.
0: That August eleventh of twenty eighteen. That is officially, I think, a year before we recorded the first episode of. It's on the list, so truly, yo, in the before Mason era. If we're being real, if we're being fucking real here, and we're being real here, yeah. Um, I would like to give Blue Collar a rewatch for a lot of different reasons because I think I would get something out of it now that I wasn't able to get out of it then when I was in school versus a working adult now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Schrader's the man. Love him. Um, and I would like to give this one a rewatch. I actually didn't realize it was his first movie, actually, to be honest with you. That is kind of crazy. It's, I mean, his first- it's his first directorial movie. Yes, yes, yes. The yeah. first movie he directed. His first... So, love those picks, Chef. You did break the rules, so you are fired. No. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> You're fired You piece of shit And ironic It's on the working one too So Yeah Kind of weird how that works out But you actually are fired And I'm actually mad at you So We're going to move on now To my number To my number six Uh Uh-huh Watched this on July 30th This is a Mm -hmm. 2020 release I guess it's a dramedy Even though that word sucks Uh I'll call it a drama I'm going to call it a drama Mm -hmm. That's what I'll call it Directed by Cooper Rafe you ever heard that name before?
1: No. Well, you got to see this movie, Wait. my man. This is I think Shit I know House. What this movie might be. Oh, Shit House. Oh. Uh, friend of the pod when they came to visit me in Chicago, uh Kel Cripe, uh really uh vouched for this movie. I've been dying to see it actually. This does sound like a big time Mason movie. It's fucking great, dude. It is so good for a lot of reasons, but on a
0: personal level, had a really tough first year of college. I did not like my school. I did not like Southern California. I didn't really didn't like living in a dorm with two people that I just didn't know and didn't have any privacy. I uh, didn't really love the friend group that I was sort of mainly hanging out with to begin school, especially in that first semester of college. Yeah. I was really having a hard time. Um, and this movie, more than any other movie I've seen, attempts to and captures that feeling. The feeling of being away awesome. from home in a major way for the first time and really having to be an adult and really having to have adult conversations and have adult relationships and make hard choices. Yeah. There's a couple scenes where the... Cooper, Because Cooper Rafe wrote, directed, and starred in this film, by the way. Oh, Which shit. is crazy. Okay. And he is my age, more or less. Maybe even younger than me. Uh, he was at Occidental College and he stole camera equipment from the film, you know, center whatever their whatever their film room closet is, made mm. this movie a short version of this film, tweeted it out to I think Jay or Mark Duplass, one of the Duplass brothers, and then they like helped him make the feature version of this movie because they saw like the spark that was there, and they were so right to because this movie is phenomenal. There's scenes in this where the Cooper Wraith character is calling his mom. Two in particular that I've had those exact same conversations teary-eyed in the stairwell of my dorm building, calling my mom, basically saying more or less the same things. Uh, this movie hits home in a crazy way. It is so well observed. Um, and Dylan Galula is great in this movie, uh, who plays sort of—it's it's more or less a two-hander, but more so obviously focusing on the Cooper Rave character since he's sort of our eyes and ears of the film— but Dylan is great in it, too. She's got a great little arc herself. Um, but I got to give it to Cooper Rafe for doing acting, directing, and writing this damn thing. And having the gusto to tweet out to the Duplass brothers being like, watch my film on a lark. Yeah. Uh, there's an article uh, that I can send to you if you if anyone's interested uh, about it. But it's really cool. I think he just wrapped his next movie, which is called Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Really excited to see what Cooper Rafe does in the future. Uh, I just think he's a very emotionally intelligent filmmaker and a very thoughtful filmmaker. See this movie however you can, even if you have to rent it.
1: It is worth the two or three bucks. Fuck yeah. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I'll finally watch it. I'll watch it. You've got it. You've got me. I'll watch it. fuck get, this movie I know I'm gonna get, like if I actually had the bravery to sit down and spend the two bucks on it that I know I'm gonna fucking like I'll do it I'll fucking do it you've got me fuck okay
0: <laughs> thanks dude <laughs> thanks dude go for your next one We're now in the top five though Mason we've entered the we've entered the danger zone here
1: highway to the fucking danger zone top five so like I uh, I tripped over myself with Goodbye Dragon Inn this is a movie that I saw in theaters but I rewatched in theaters. This is a movie that I watched twice this year. First time was on DVD from the library. Second time was in a special Pre-Pitchfork Music Festival, I believe, um screening. And it's the 2002 documentary I Am Trying to Break Your Heart about the nice. um yeah, about the uh, It's a movie about the making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, but not about how not about like laying down the tracks writing the song it's not a songwriting movie so to speak it's this document in the truest sense of the word about how fucking difficult it was to release the album yankee hotel foxtrot after it had already been fucking made um and uh it's it's so it moves so briskly um through its 90 minutes and they cover a lot of kind of internal strife with the band with the labels with you know just sort of critical stuff it's a unlike you know there's different ways that you can approach making documentaries i tend to not like talking heads ones like ones where there's just like you know people that are talking and telling the story as much as something where you're just like sort of vibing with these different real life people but this movie is sort of like all set up kind of like an oral history of this um this not quite a fiasco but how it took basically 2 years for this album to come out. Um I had a Wilco year this year. I saw them twice in concert or twice in performance. Uh listened to them a lot which we should actually, we didn't talk about it with Marissa H but it we did our Spotify blended. Uh no oh, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. And we shared Wilco as like one of our most listened to artists. And there was a time when I was listening to Al... Uh, Wilco a lot on Apple music and not on Spotify. And because of that, the numbers (laughs) were juiced and Noah had actually technically listened to, I think 22 minutes more of Wilco than I had, which is two listens of spiders, kid smoke, which I know I had on him. I know I had at least three or four listens on that to get back to, I am trying to break your heart. There's a couple other things that I really like about this movie. Um, You don't, uh, um, this is another great I think Chicago movie but just because like there's this is with the fugitive kind of how I picture Chicago like just in my memory and like just like kind of when I was young and going to downtown with my parents what the city looked and moved and breathed and kind of felt like before a lot of these fucking skyscrapers went up um, kind of um, it's a great Chicago movie it's a great movie about the Headache literally like headaches and migraines That you get being in a creative partnership um, About how Difficult it is to um, n- Not necessarily Realize your vision but how to get People to listen to you know Or, or interact or like just Get it in front of your fans or whoever And ki- kind of about How you have to sort of take control And own your your Creation and your your um, your Projects or whatever You want to categorize it at If you want people to get it, if you want the right people to get it, Um, it's tremendous. I think it's 90 minutes, like I said, Uh, but my Mercedes valuable player goes to the director and cinematographer, Sam Jones, um, who I think just was there at the beginning of this project, just kind of like take pictures, hang out with Wilco, kind of document this initial thing and kind of fell backwards into this, this sort of adventure or this journey of getting this album out there. Um, if you check on IMDB, there's a lot of credited cinematographers that makes a lot of sense because it kind of pops across the country, talks to different various critics and and other musicians about this thing here. But, uh, Sam Jones, I think is the, is the clear sort of, um, art, like just the, the art, the guy that makes this thing look, look fucking great. Um, so check it out. Get it from the library, rent it. Um, but I saw it at the music box, like I said, with uh, a Q&A afterwards with drummer Glenn Cochy. Uh So that's all, that's all I got to say about that particular movie. It's
0: very there. weird as the data-driven, um, bigger Wilco fan of the duo that I haven't seen this. So I'm going to have to get on that. Because I not only do I love that album and do I love Wilco, but I love, love, love the song I Am Trying to Break Your Heart. I think that yeah. is... One of the best songs ever, for a lot yeah. of different reasons. Uh, also, not to beat a dead horse here, was the fourth person from Clockwatchers, Watchers, Alana Euback. Alana Euback, yes. Great, Mason. Number five. It's kind yes. of a cheat. It's kind of a cheat to use this one, but I have to play this one. Biggest drop. Mm,
1: kind of a cheat okay. to use it
0: because it didn't really drop that far, but relative to the list, it did. Okay. This is my number five. I had to keep it in the top five. But at one Mm -hmm. point, it was number three. So it dropped from top three to top five. I watched this movie for my movie club that I did with my friend Cole. This was my pick. I watched it on February 27th. This movie came out in 1988. It is a drama. It is directed by Oliver Leica Stone. This movie is Talk Radio, starring Eric Bogosian. Hell yeah. Uh, I had... I had heard about this movie in the pre, or not the, I guess the pre-pandemic days, but the Gems hype days, because Begosian yeah. was in Gems, and they were talking about how much they love Begosian and how much they love sex, drugs, and rock and roll as one man show, and how much they love his performance in this, and they had to cast him in the movie. But I didn't really take much note of it at that time. But my friend and film Twitter celebrity, Mr. Robert Franco, uh watched this movie, and was like, this is a new favorite of mine. And sometimes I'm like, well, I don't want to watch it (laughs) because I don't want that hype sort of in my head when someone's like, holy shit. You know, I just want to kind of watch it as truthfully as I can for myself. But then other people started to watch it too, and they were like, this movie fucking slaps. This movie's fucking great. It's one of Stone's best. And I was like, I got to watch this movie. You know, I'm I'm, I'm really itching to see it. And it is fucking electric, dude. Uh, This movie is... So simple in its execution. It is mostly Eric Bogosian in a radio booth. John C. McGinley's in this movie as well. Shout out to John C. McGinley, Uh, Doctor Cox himself, the I'm No Superman himself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Bogosian in a radio booth talking to people like a radio host would, a stand-in for Stern or a stand-in for a mad a man cow or something. You know, one of those really controversial shock jock type figures. Mm -hmm. and the Bogosian character in this movie is so fascinating you do get to see some like flashback stuff to like who he was before he who who he was before he donned the mic and put on those headphones Uh, and it's about a man what did I write what did I say here it is about a man who wants to rectify his wrongs or at least wants you to believe he's trying to rectify his wrongs He's a very, very challenging character to watch in this movie. But he is so fascinating. The editing and the cinematography, the lighting is so electric. I could not take my eyes off of this film when Mm -hmm. it was on the screen. I think it's based on either some writings that Boghossian had done because he's one of the credited co-writers of the film. Didn't he do it as a play? Um, Do I have that right? I think maybe he did. I'm not 100% sure, but that's probably true because he is a theater guy first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but he is my MVP, of, like, my mercedes Viable player of this. Easy, 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 easy. Such a good fucking movie, dude. I don't really even want to say much more. I can't really even say much more other mm. than if you like movies with challenging protagonists, very complicated protagonists, look no further than talk radio. Uh, amazing. Are you much of a yeah. Stone, Oliver Stone
1: head at all? I've seen, I am mostly familiar, I have not seen this one. I've seen Wall Street, and I've seen his three president movies.
0: Nixon, JFK, and and
1: W. Oh, right, I forgot about W, but yes, you're right. Yeah, Uh, most people forgot about W, it's a pretty, uh... Brolin's good in it there's some good performances but it's just kind of you you kind of leave that movie go- Well, you kind of leave that movie going like no shit. You know, where at least like JFK is a crazy fucking movie and it's really entertaining to watch and Nixon um has this like the tremendous anthony hopkins performance and it's like so um grand uh and uh uh, sad and kind of epic in its own way and then you watch w when it and it came out like kind of late bush era and you're just like the the uh the 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 conclusion that movie comes to is basically oh this guy had daddy issues and you're like yeah no shit um (laughs) uh it's better than vice though i'll say um but i've been dying to see talk radio i've been dying to see talk radio i um it's been on my lists for i think since i was in high school here's my question i know that there is a kind of a point of contention in this movie where they they leave the studio for a scene how do you feel about that in the in like the kind of the grand the scheme of that movie Do you think it, like, makes sense? Do you kind of wish that they stay just kind of in that one location the whole time, or do you think that it's, like, a necessary I think
0: they utilize... I think they utilize... I mean, in in a show, in a, like, live performance, I understand why it maybe does all take place in the studio. I think the best parts of the movie are when he's in the studio. Like, no doubt Mm -hmm. in my mind, those are the best parts of the movie. But I don't think it detracts from the film, ultimately, to leave the studio. I think they use the fact that it is filmmaking and not live performance to their advantage to do certain things some of the flashbacks don't work amazing for me mm-hmm. but it doesn't really matter it's one of those where it's like everything that i do have a little bit of an issue with in the movie doesn't matter like it's yeah. so electric to watch the parts that work work and i wanted to rewatch it immediately when it was over i was like yeah. this is dynamic this is exciting this is the power of just good writing and good performing. It's just a fucking He slices it up on screen for almost two hours, maybe even more than two hours. That's my mm. number five, Talk Radio. Wah 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 wah. Wah, <laughs> wah. Wah, wah wah
1: wah wah. wah 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 wah. I remember when this podcast was
0: starting. Uh Mason, hit us with your number four.
1: Okay. So this is my last I've heard this movie's been great for years have not watched it for my own hangups for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned with talk radio. When people say that certain movies are their favorite or their best, or they just like kind of blow it out of proportions, you can kind of get yourself in the position where you're like, well, I don't want to watch this because it's, it, it can't possibly be that good. Um, and this is a movie that kind of followed me along with that reputation for close to a decade. Um, Maybe a little over a decade and an opportunity presented itself to see this movie in theaters. And I was like, you know, if I am going to see this movie essentially for the first time, not just absorbing the the plot points and these moments by osmosis. But if I'm going to experience this for this first time, I'll put money down. I'll go to the theater at midnight to watch this on a chilly October evening. And I went in. I said one ticket. I went to the Logan Theater at, like, 11 o'clock, and I said, one ticket for John Carpenter's The Thing, please, and I sat down, this movie's really fucking good, (laughs) that's just kind of what it comes down to, just really one of the best, scariest, freakiest movies ever made, the practical effects, just, just seeing the, how the monster moves around, how they kind of play with the body, just the The really authentic jump scares um and also like it kind of reminds me of like when i watched todd speaking of todd haynes from earlier todd haynes movie safe at the beginning of pandemic last year about how that's just a movie that kind of got better with age as we've become like even more and more sick and paranoid the thing is a movie about how you can't trust the person next to you because they could be like harboring an evil alien in them Um, Or not even just, like, uh, a person, like, it could be in a dog. And kind of also, like, Clinton, his struggle with dirt. This is a movie that's, like, main theme is just this, like, kind of breakdown in trust and communication um when you're in this uh this just like weird kind of remote environment um it's it's so kind of archetypal it's it it's it's a movie that like it in its basis arch, in its base archetype characters and in its presentation it's just like so fucking basic that you're like you're watching it like why aren't all movies just like this at this level of craft um and it's just also really really fucking scary but also really funny and entertaining um my mercedes available player for this movie is the um my favorite scene in the movie which is the blood test scene um there's so many fun tricks of just editing and just scene building in that and just um uh, little surprise moments that really really fucking got me um that i just kind of fell in love with it this might be the biggest climber in this in in my list here because I maybe had underrated it because like well of course everyone knows the thing is really fucking good but when it came down to like what I felt in my heart like yeah this movie is really fucking good it deserves to be in at least my my top 5 favorite movies that I watched for the first time this year and it really made me excited to Uh, You know, we've had kind of a mild December in Chicago, but I think that we're going to like it has been the last couple of years. Come January, February, it's really going to be like snowed in and and locked down. And I can't wait for the um, conditions to be right to revisit uh, this movie. Um, Watched a lot of John Carpenter movies for the first time this year. I played uh, with being even more of a stinker and putting all the new John Carpenter movies that I watched this year in this tie position but the thing is I think the one that I can see myself returning to most frequently and just the fact that I can finally say definitively I have seen this movie top to bottom I've experienced the thing and I had a really good time watching it for the first time it's gotta be the only one that makes it on my list so John Carpenter's the thing if you haven't seen it yet if you haven't seen it yet what the fuck are you doing thank you chef I saw that movie in beginning of 2018 And
0: I did not like it very much. I thought it was overrated. But I had a very particular thing going on in that beginning of 2018. I had a thing going on, an even bigger thing than the thing where I was getting ready to shoot a short film. So Uh. I was very preoccupied with that and not John Carpenter's The Thing. So I am willing to give The Thing another chance. I have to see it in theaters, though. I'm not going to rewatch it at my house. I got to see that one on the big screen. Because I think I would like it a lot more. You think? My impression of that movie. Shut. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you just shut up for a sec? <laughs> <laughs> I'm farting ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. You're just being a you're farting ass right now. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's. I don't know. That was one for me for a while where I was like, I don't get it. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it I was like I don't get why people like this so much but I was very preoccupied at the time that I watched it Um, and I'd like to give it another shot I think my favorite Carpenter is probably maybe They Live off the top of my head did you mm-hmm. see that for the first time this year?
1: I haven't seen that, seen that movie that for the first time yet no that's another movie that I've been really oh, seeing for years yeah nice dude
0: It's also, it is awesome to lie about seeing a movie
1: yeah the three carpenters that i saw for the first time this year were the thing in the mouth of madness and christine um and oh, i really liked christine when i was watching it um and i am eager to revisit it there's a couple really great sequences in it um but uh it's just ooh, the thing is just so fucking good that's it it just like kind of sits so comfortably in my in my heart and my head like this movie fucking rips that's it what's your number four?
0: Oh yeah I'm I don't I'm not there with Carpenter fully, to be honest with you. But I respect mm. everyone who likes his shit. I'm not crazy about Halloween like other people are. They Live, I think, is really fun. You know I think when he maybe yeah. gets a little more fun with it, I'm having a better time. I really do not like Escape from New York. I think Escape from New York has not aged well. Um, not a huge fan of that one. So, I don't know. I'm kind of being a stinker about it, but like I said, hey, would like fun. to give it another watch. But that's that's where I'm at with the thing right now. I know that's a very beloved... You can
1: Horror be a little
0: filthy a stinker. F- okay, thanks. Mason, my number four. Watched on January 9th, 2020. Or, excuse me, That's my sister's
1: birthday. You watched this for my sister's birthday.
0: Shout out to Kellen. Shout out to Kellen's B-Day on that one. Shout out. And Mason, this mm-hmm. movie came out in 2020. It did not say online specifically when it came out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was scrolling through Amazon Prime. Just mm-hmm. like, what should I watch today? You know, what should I what should I check out? Mm-hmm. And I am proud to say, Mason, I kind of discovered this movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. I had no okay. one had seen this movie on Letterboxd until I watched it. And then six other people that I directly follow and follow me watched this movie because mm-hmm. I because I watched it and put it on their reddit are like, oh, I want to check that out. And that's not a brag. That's just that's what happened.
1: But that's you know no that's you doing that's like you following the the, the through line here like that's honest exactly
0: exactly and this movie mm-hmm. is so I can't believe it's not more popular it is okay. a Zvon of a film and Mason you've okay. seen this movie actually any thoughts
1: okay. about what it could be is this pretend that you love me this
0: is not pretend that
1: you love me okay From this is a documentary. And this is, this is Jasper Bradley Maul! Time. Oh, Jasper Maul! Oh, fuck! Yes, you did put this on my radar. I did watch yes. this because of you.
0: Yes, bro. Yes, bro. This movie yeah. is. I was just like I said, I was scrolling on a whim, Amazon Prime. It looked interesting. I love Americana looking at America type shit. You know, yeah. you know art. It's one of my favorite little subgenres of art. Uh, yeah. And it was just. I was like, oh, this might be interesting on a sociological level, but then I watched it and I was like, this is like an amazing character piece about just people trying to get by and the passage of time and off forgotten people, and it's so heartbreaking and so funny all at the same time. It's got American movie energy if American movie was a little bit like more of like a slower, like in-depth look at something as opposed to like following Mark Borchert around you know like it's got that energy a little bit
1: it's like if Mark Borchert was a character in like a a portrait of a f- like kind of fading American town small town you know like if he was yes. just a guy that kind of came in instead of and he wasn't the center of the movie just like the the you know this this the the Jasper Mall is a character in the film basically um but the main character is that like the the kind of the keeper of of the Jasper yeah, he's mall. so I good what his name is oh my god he is just this guy that's like dedicated his whole life to maintaining this place and like he just really believes in in the goodness of the Jasper mall um, yeah it's just so heartbreaking dude yeah I also watched that for I yeah, yeah yeah I watched that on your recommendation basically
0: yeah it's it's so good and I wrote in the in my letterbox review, I said, the mall acts as a transitory place. People come and go, passing through while others root themselves there. People want to stay and people want to go. Jasper becomes a sort of purgatory, but not in an evil sense. It's just a place where time hasn't moved forward. It's only stood still. And yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy to watch this movie and be like, I can't believe in the 2020s that a place like this still exists. It feels... Such a relic of time gone by and how much it means to people, how much a place can mean to people, how it can Mm -hmm. mean different things to different people of different ages. You have Mm -hmm. that young teenage interracial couple who are talking like a little bit later on in the movie And Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't believe that this is still an issue to certain people in fucking Alabama, but it sure as fuck is in certain parts of this country, still a huge fucking issue for people and them talking about their experience. And when I was on my road trip, uh, I had maybe planned to do two days in Alabama and that second day would have been leave Montgomery, drive up to this grotto that's in a place that I think it's called, I can't even. The name of the, it was like Cunningham or Casper or something like that, like Alabama, like a little okay. further north. I was gonna go there, I was gonna go to Jasper Mall, and I was gonna go to Tuscaloosa, where the University of Alabama is, just to sort of see what that world is like. And it was because mm. of this movie that it got me interested in that world and that sort of decaying, dying thing that still means so much to certain people, but just because of economics and because of time, it can't survive. You know yeah. that Jasper Mall's not gonna make it. It seemed like it made it when I was down there. It had pushed through into 2021 when I was down there earlier this year. I didn't end up doing that part of the trip because Montgomery mm-hmm. just sucked so bad that I just wanted to leave Alabama as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, but this is an amazing doc. I am. It is a true diamond in the rough. A true Zvon. I think this movie is incredible, and I yeah. love it.
1: Yeah uh put it on your put it on your list folks if you haven't seen it already I th- is it still on Amazon Prime I believe it I will double confirm that now but I am almost a hundred percent sure it's still there
0: if you like stuff about America if you like stuff about small towns if you like stuff about the south if you just like good documentaries you gotta watch this movie it is still on prime so go for it my Mercedes valuable player is Bradford Thomason so it's two credited directors it's Brett Whitcomb mm. and Bradford mm. Thomason. Both are credited directors. But Bradford Thomason is credited for the editing of this film. Mm -hmm. And in documentaries more than other film, you have to find your narrative. You have to find your story. And he finds not only just one compelling story, but many compelling stories in what maybe would be considered a boring or banal subject matter to begin with. That is amazing to me. That is like a Herculean feat, if you Mm -hmm. ask me, to do that. Um, and then also the young interracial couple uh, is just amazing to sort of see how time marches forward. Because you have all these old people attracted to this small like moths to a flame. You have these young people there and are like, what the fuck is this? Like, let's move on. But they still can appreciate what it is. And you're like, damn, dude. Time stops for nobody. For yeah. nobody.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. I love this Hell movie. Yeah. That's all I have to say. I love that. Um, like I said, definitely put it on your list if you haven't put it on already okay Noe ready for my number three yes this is a movie that I believe was on your first watches of 2020 it is a movie that I had only seen once so far but I actually have tickets in the next couple of weeks to see it at the music box theater it's coming around on a 4k restoration I cannot wait to see it on the big screen that's Kiyoshi Kurosawa's cure let's fucking go baby I was
0: early to the cure hype too People this year were discovering Cure, and I'm like, baby, I watched that in 2020 with my friend Dustin Titcomb. That movie fucking rocks, dude. Let's fucking go.
1: I watched it on the Criterion channel on my laptop where we are having the Zoom conversation right now in my bed, and it gave me the heebie fucking jeebies. Yes. This movie is so good. It's so creepy. I love uh, just kind of like how The Empty Man uh, is about, you know, this detective that like falls in this like kind of identity trap. That's one of my favorite just like tropes in in movies. Is just like the the detective that goes so deep into a case that he like loses and or uh, realizes his personality. Um, the the serial killer in this movie is so just just so anonymous looking, but also so. Fucking creepy, and I just love that this the the this, the evil world that this movie inhabits and creates. And I cannot wait to see it on the big screen and just really marinate in this 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 evil vile fucking creepy place. Um, and because of that, my Mercedes valuable players for this are is the sound department with special shouts out to Hiromichi Kori and Hiroaki Nakata who are the sound I think editors and mixers that were credited to imdb here um but this movie is fucking incredible i think it's still on the criterion channel if noah's recommendation last year wasn't enough to push you in this direction hopefully the fact that it is a double recommendo from the boys here should get you to watch this fucking movie such a good creepy like horror thriller um and i i can't wait to like rewatch it and revisit it like every halloween basically <laughs> it's, just, it's just so didn't. fucking good <laughs>
0: I actually had the the honor and uh, pleasure of watching it on the big screen on Halloween this yeah, year. Yeah, hell um, yeah. At the Arrow. Did you ever make your way over to the Arrow in Santa Monica I never when you did. lived here?
1: No, I Damn. never did.
0: It's so good, dude. That Aero, I used to kind of hate on Santa Monica a little bit. I was like, kind of overrated. It's really fucking far west. It's so isolated from the rest of Los Angeles. You basically move there to live and die and breathe in Santa Monica, more mm. or less, But The Arrow is such a good place to see a movie. It's such a great theater. It's the second slash, you know, one of the American Cinematheque locations. You know, usually it's the Egyptian and The Arrow. Now it's the Los Feliz 3, the vintage theater in Los Feliz and uh, The Arrow. But I went to go see that on Halloween. And there weren't, like, there were barely anyone in the theater. I was shocked. I was like, guys. I mean, I think it had been playing a shit ton in October, yeah. like, at the Los Feliz 3 and at the Arrow, so I was just catching it at the last possible moment. But seeing it on the big screen is unbelievable. I w- It was more transfixing this time. I actually think I got more out of it on, like, a everything level the first time because that second time, I was like, I already know what I'm going into. I know what to expect. It was just mind-blowing. Trans-fixed yeah. the entire time. Great movie. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Mwah. Thank you. Uh, My number three Mason You ready for this one? Can you believe this? I'm... You ready for this Okay mm-hmm. uh-huh. You can't believe this You can't believe You can't believe What's about to happen here Watch this on April 16th This movie is from 1991 It's a comedy
1: mm-hmm.
0: Directed by Richard Let's link up later <laughs>
1: This is Slacker
0: Hell yeah Slacker By Richard Very Linklater cool. From 1991 Have you seen this?
1: Uh, Just the last part of it. I've not watched it all the way through. So this could qualify for maybe a later new to me. Who knows?
0: Oh. Um, I watched this more or less like a month out from me gearing up to do my road trip. I had already gotten my first Pfizer shot at that point. was waiting to get shot number two. Mm. So I had that. This was a time in America, if you can believe this, where people were excited. People were... Holy shit, we've been inside. Let's get out. There was that feeling of dinner's in the oven, but it's not ready yet, and I can't wait to chow down. That was the feeling that was in the air around that time. There was something so profoundly exciting happening. And although Slacker is pretty deliberately paced for the most part, and there are sections of this movie that are extremely boring to me. I will just say that right off. There Mm -hmm. are sections of this movie that I think are boring this was the right time in my life to see this movie, bar none. This is a movie, it's such a a good and problematic title that it's called Slacker. Because these people are not slackers. And I'm going to read this Richard Linklater quote about Mm. the movie. Slackers might look like the left-behinds of society, but they are actually one step ahead, rejecting most of society and the social hierarchy before it rejects them. The dictionary defines slackers as people who evade duties and responsibilities. A more modern notion would be people who are ultimately being responsible to themselves and not wasting their time in a realm of activity that has nothing to do with who they are or what they might ultimately be striving for. Mm -hmm. And that is the magic of the film. These people are not slackers. I thought this was going to be about people hanging out, drinking beers, and like, navel-gazing. For mm. however long, an hour, 40 minutes, or whatever. And it is not that. I was so pissed that it was called Slacker because these people are ultimately, <laughs> like Richard later says, striving to do the things that they want to do above all else. And there is mm. no societal shackle or expectation encumbering them to anything but striving to do that. And to me... That is freedom. That is about as free as you can be. Mm-hmm. And that resonated so hard. I was about to go on the road. I was about to get my second shot in like a week and a half from when I watched it. Perfect time for me to watch this movie. The essence of this film resonated so hard with me and continues to resonate hard with me as I'm back in L.A. And have to have to put on those shackles, baby. Yeah. And just do things that you have to do because that's the economic system that we are under. Um, but it has so many simple pleasures in this movie. Walking around with your friends, going to a pizza place and being there longer than you thought you would and just spending the day there, going to movies, going to stores, clothing stores, bookstores, record shops, and I was horny for that shit, Mason, Yeah, in April of 2021, as was everybody else. This movie... Might not hit the exact same way it did for everybody else that it did for me, but it absolutely came in at the right time, and I'm so thankful that I saw this movie when I did. That quote by Linklater is one of my mercedes Valuable players, probably the biggest mercedes Valuable player, just sort of the essence of what this movie ultimately is, and it's got a great fucking opening shot. I just love the opening shot
1: of this movie, so that gets a mercedes Valuable player as well, but it's mostly that quote.
0: So, yeah, that's it. That's all i got to say about Slacker.
1: Rock and roll. I... Uh have been putting that movie off since college <laughs> to watch it, you know, hearing about how just special it is. what it's, 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 that's another movie that just, it's, it's reputation just gets so inflated in my head that I'm like, how, what am I going to get out of this when I sit down and watch it? Like, I like, that's my like anxiety around actually watching it, but you make an incredible case for it here. Um, with that in mind, I should put time aside to, to actually watch it, watch it. Um, I think and we you get know what, Mason? Little... Huh?
0: You know what's what? kind of cool? I didn't mention this because I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. What? I think it's free on YouTube to watch the whole thing. What the fuck? No! <coughs> <coughs> ah! So that's cool.
1: Hell yeah. That is cool. Go for it. Go for it. Two. All right. Yeah. My number two. And this is, a, this is another movie that danced around my list here. I was looking for the right exact place. I should say with this, I knew when we were planning this show, when we had this on the calendar, I knew exactly what my number one was going to be. Everything else kind of has danced around a little bit. Uh, but this movie, um, it's the oldest movie on my list by far. It's from 1937. Uh, it's, oh, shit. It's a movie that I've uh, rewatched a couple times this year, and Chunks uh, has shown up on my letterbox top four a couple times, and that I bought at the last Criterion half sale. And that is Frank Borzagi's Frank History is Made at Night with Charles Boyer, Gene Arthur, Colin Clive, Leo Carrillo. And I kind of struggled with where to put this one exactly. Because this is a movie that its its plot is pretty. I describe the plot basically. The plot is is as such: Gene um, Arthur is the sort of um, much ignored wife of Colin Clive, who is this um, kind of very domineering, very uh, twisted and kind of creepy um, sh- uh, uh, ocean liner magnate. Um, and one night she. Um, Charles Boyer uh, comes into her life and um, the movie and sort of sweeps her off her feet basically. Um, But because of this, Colin Clive's jealousy comes into the picture. He frames him, Charles Boyer for a murder that he didn't commit. And this movie kind of has this like starts off as a romance, like a melodrama goes into something like a romantic comedy And I don't quite want to give away what the ending is, but the kind of like last act of this movie is a really startling uh, piece of filmmaking for its time. And even by today's standards, Um, I watched this movie uh, because I put it on uh, the day that I got my first COVID shot. I'm pretty sure. um, Or a couple days after when I was like really feeling the um, side effects and I just wanted something that was like kind of light and easy. I had seen Moonrise a couple of years ago. I knew that this was like sort of uh, this is a movie that was vouched for by um chefs Ryan Kay and Sonny Dion Jr. And I thought, I'll just put this on. This'll probably be pretty easy to watch. Just help me ease through my my side effects here. I fell asleep for the middle hour in the movie, and I woke up in the last twenty minutes and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Damn. And so I rewatched it from the beginning, and I was just swept away by this like this this romance and i want to quote from dan callahan uh, who wrote the criterion liner notes here uh towards the end of history is made at night boyer's paul tells arthur's irene uh charles boyer's paul tells Jean arthur's irene the exact moment that he fell for her when she kept saying oh in the back of a car and then self-consciously called attention to it All I can seem to say is, oh, Irene finally remarks slightly helplessly. She is exhibiting the sort of behavior here that could be perceived as awkward or unattracted to a less confident man, but it's exactly the sweet dithering that makes Paul fall in love with her. In other words, this is the romance we are seeking, to be loved for our foibles and not in spite of them. So that's the sort of, like, thematic thrust of this movie. The trial that these people go through to either keep them apart just kind of serves to... Um enforce this idea of like romantic love conquering everything that um frank Borzage is really um fixated on it's like kind of his a thing that he's as i understand it very um, um interested in exploring another thing that i read learned about this movie this movie was made with only fifty two pages of its script and they kind of figured it out as it, as it went along. oh there. shit yeah um it's a really tremendous. Um, and kind of, I think, risky movie, even by today's standards, not necessarily in terms of its subject matter, but just in its depiction of, um, this, this romance and the depth that it will go to my Mercedes valuable player. Uh, and I watched the, uh, is the last sort of 20 minutes of this movie, the last sort of sequence of this movie. It's a very, it, it takes a, it's one of those things where you're watching it and you're like, I can't believe that this is where this movie is ending, but it also makes 100% sense kind of when you think about what it's going for, that this is how this movie ends, that this is the last trial that these people have to go through um, before, like, you get the final answer of if they are going to be together or not. I don't want to spoil it, but I last watched the last 20 minutes of this movie right before we started recording and I was as, like, transfixed and as um, taken and just so fucking... Uh, uh uh scared and nervous <laughs> watching this the sequence of filmmaking um just on a tiny little youtube screen this is also secret secret available for free on youtube so i would definitely recommend if you don't have a criterion channel subscription just putting on history is made as uh, history is made at night on youtube and watching it i love it i hope you love it too i hope that it inspires you if you watch it and you want to make movies um, to be like risky with your storytelling like this, it's it's unlike any movie from its time or since then. Fucking watch it. That's all I gotta say. History is made at night. I haven't seen it. I have not seen any
0: of Frank Borzage's films. But when you were describing the sort of roller coaster of the film, the first thing that came to mind is something wild by Jonathan Demme. In how that movie that is not changes. a bad
1: comparison. Actually, I really like that you made that comparison. I think that that's pretty. That would be a good double feature. Got you. Okay, interesting. Because, yeah, that movie sort of
0: changes on a dime in a way that is very impressive, you know, and very unexpected as well. But it's kind of the only thought I have because I have not seen it, nor do I know truly anything about it other than what the hell you're talking about right now. Yeah. Mason, my number two. Mm. We're just going to do it. (laughs) We're just going to do it because this is a long one. Uh, Watch this movie on May 4th. May the 4th be with you, by the way. Um, By the way, just may the 4th be with you. Um, What's that a reference to? 1977. Uh, I don't know. I uh, okay. just heard it online. Some really funny Is it something? From,
1: is it something from 1977?
0: Yeah. Uh, but this movie that I'm also talking about came out in
1: 1977 as
0: well. So kind of a cool coincidence mm-hmm. there, actually. Kind of awesome for us. Uh, this is a thriller, through and through, from 1977. Directed by William It's the Friedkin Weekend. Friedkin. I know what you're this doing, fucking here. sorcerer, baby. Yes, baby, fucking sorcerer. Let's go. Let's do it. Oh, I watched this. I was again knew that later in the month I was going to be leaving for that trip, and at the time I thought maybe I will just end up back in L.A. before, and I won't come back to Portland at all. So I was trying to get as many big movies as I could in in my dad's media room because he's got a pretty mm. nice little setup in his media room, and I was like. It's do or die time for Sorcerer, baby. I'd actually seen the opening sequences of Sorcerer in college yeah. and just said, I'm not really in the mood for this right now. Like, I gotta, I gotta save this. I can tell it's gonna be exciting, but I'm just not in the mood for this right now. But I put this motherfucker on. <laughs> put this fucker on at night. And I didn't breathe for over two hours, my man. I was holding my fucking breath the whole time. I it's like hard to talk about how exciting and how daring and how exhilarating this this whole fucking movie is, dude. It's great.
1: It it it's like you it's just on this razor wire where you're watching it. Like I can't believe that they got away with making this and also that nobody died while making this. Absolutely. That nobody died we that we know of. And <laughs> that
0: yeah. It's so sweaty and muddy and hot and you feel like you're there as much as possible. This is a movie that like lives in your gut. This movie's made of bile and blood and sweat. It's so visceral. Yeah, It's such a, a trip to watch this movie. Uh, and I had seen the beginning of The Wages of Fear in college as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking... All right. <laughs> you know, like this is some this is some we're talking it's in French or whatever. I was just yeah. like not interested in it at the time. But from the little I've seen of that movie to know that Sorcerer is an adaptation of The Wages of Fear, it just goes to show you that adaptations can be feel, I should say, just as thrilling as an original script if yeah. done well and correctly. Because this thing is truly only loosely based on Wages of Fear in Mm. the essence of the objectives of the film. Roy Scheider's amazing in this movie. The cinematography is unbelievable. The editing is mind-blowing. So to kind of give a proper mercedes Valuable Player to Sorcerer, I think I just have to give it to that bridge sequence when they're crossing that bridge. Even just talking about it right now and thinking about it makes me nervous makes me like quake Mm -hmm. in my fucking like socks I'm not wearing shoes right now because I'm recording a fucking podcast but in my socks I am quaking thinking about them crossing that bridge if you don't know what the hell's going on in this movie they're basically transporting these highly volatile flammable chemicals and products across the Amazon is the Amazon right?
1: I, I, can't, I don't know for sure.
0: Okay, it's some jungle. It's some really scary jungle there where there's a bunch of fucking shit. <laughs> and <Yeah>. there's bridges. <laughs> and it's just a bunch so much of, of mud.
1: Everything in this environment is set up to fucking kill them, basically.
0: Yeah, this is a suicide They know they're signing up to die, and if they don't die, they get their freedom, more or less. And it's all these people yeah. who need freedom for one reason or another. And that's the other thing, is it not only is it so fucking thrilling? Great character piece too about all these people, and they're mm. you get information about them in such small, subtle, effective, like efficient ways, and it's all done through action. I don't think you're told a single thing about these people other than what they do. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's fucking great. It's one of the easiest five stars on Letterbox I had ever given, and I cannot wait to see this in the theater one day.
1: Unbelievable. I... I, if I uh, saw this movie in a theater, I think I would just implode of tension, you know, like the, my yeah. only time watching this movie was in my uh, shared studio apartment in LA when I was like on my laptop, on my table in that apartment. And even in that non, to for, 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 to put it lightly, not ideal scenario for watching this movie. Yeah. Totally gripping, totally um, absorbing, and when they're going across that, uh, when they're going across that bridge, I'm just, I'm just sitting there like the
0: audience at home Mason just put his whole fist in his ass and it came out of his mouth and he's yeah. bop, he's bopping his uvula back and forth like a speed yeah, bag and, and I'm holding
1: yeah and I was holding up a sign like Wile e. Coyote that said yikes you know <laughs> it <laughs> said yikes I have
0: diarrhea and I'm throwing up and my penis hurts the tip of my penis specifically
1: <laughs> oh my god uh I the most sick I've ever been I was going out of both ends like that throwing up and diarrhea and it was not a good time for me on the bathroom and I was in like fourth grade so i hope to never experience that again uh great choice though oh okay great choice <laughs> yeah.
0: that was real that wasn't part of the bit that sucks <laughs> yeah. that sucks dude um all right this is the number one this is the big this is the number one this is what people came right. to fucking hear if they're still with yeah. us this
1: is the real shit so mason go for it easy first choice easy number one here for my decision it's very rare that i will rewatch. Movies. It's very rare that I will rewatch movies in the same year. It is also very rare that I will rewatch movies more than once in a month. This movie that I watched, I watched for the first time on Sunday, April 25th, 2021. I had watched uh, Green Room with roommate Colin, former roommate Colin, and we were looking for something else to kind of fill our evening there. Nice little hour and a half long sort of double bill or three hour double bill. Uh, And we went on Tubi and we found this movie that I had only known because it was one of Rocky Paarito's favorite movies. Right, 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 right. And we watched it and I was beside myself the entire movie. And I was so grateful that there was ad breaks in this movie on Tubi so that I could just catch my breath and just wait to be just rocked again. Colin goes out of town. I'm sitting at home. I'm kind of bored. I'm like, fuck. It's May 3rd or whatever. May 9th, Sunday May 9th. I'm just going to put this on again. I, I cuz one I want to see like if it's going to hold up a second time. Same situation. Laughing. my goddamn, ass off. And the last time I watched it was on Sunday May 23rd. Colin and I showed it to a friend of ours of his, no friend of mine, whatever, who gives a shit. Watch this movie 3 times in a month, spice. Folks, it's Gregor Araki's smiley face. I love this fucking movie. It was the, the, how clever it is with just its, its technique with its, um, uh, uh, just it's, it's straightforwardness, its direction. It's just so fucking funny and true about how you always have a bad time when you're high, even though you're liking that, even though you like getting high, it is just, I, I, it's, it's so fucking funny, so clever, so um, surprising and so layered and I, I love this fucking movie. That's really all it comes down to. It made me so happy. It, it filled me with such fucking joy and it was such a relief from, um, it's another movie where it's like, it, I don't want to go outside, <laughs> uh, kind of how, and when you put yourself in a position where you're making yourself just scared of everything, how awful it is. I, I I I can't really speak highly enough of it, you know? I it's I can't wait to revisit it whenever I get around to watching it again. I love it so much that I can't even say how much I love it, you know? Like, I just... The whole fucking thing of it is so... If I could only take one movie that I watched for the first time this year with me to a desert island or something, it would be this because it's going to just transport me and make me laugh and keep me... Um, entertained uh for an hour and 20 minutes that's really all it comes down to you know it, it it didn't I don't know if it illuminated too much about the human experience to me maybe it did um it's just so fucking funny and clever I love it it was also in my top four in Letterboxd, moving in and out there maybe I'll put it back I don't know but if I had to propagandize and say walk don't run to find this movie as fast as you can it would be this because it's such a blast it's such a surprise um and it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving like the way that the best movies do that's it that's how I feel about Gregor smiley face my Mercedes valuable player easy 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 it's Anna Ferris in the lead role um as yep. Jane in this so fucking funny such an underappreciated performer um Always good, I think. Um, Always up to the task. Just a great, great, great comic and acting talent. I I really, really, really hope that we get an Anna Faris Assange at some point because I think that she has just such... I think that there's a lot more that she could give us that she hasn't yet. Gregoraki, smiley face. That's it. Yeah, I watched this this year as well um, at a
0: birthday party for the aforementioned Rocky Pajarito. A bunch of us outside... Uh, at the former Everything Now studio, RIP to that space <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, And I was scared to watch this movie because it had, like you said, been, you know, you were high on it, no pun intended. Rocky mm. was high on it, no pun intended. And a lot of people really liked this movie. And I thought I was going to hate this movie because I thought it was going to be a dumb piece of shit stoner movie is really mm-hmm. what I thought it was going to be at the top of my head. So I was nervous getting ready to watch this, especially in a group of mixed company where I know some of the people there, but I don't know everybody there. You know, it was like, how is this going to play? Yeah. I'm very interested just sort of to see how this goes. But basically from the jump, I was fucking loving this movie. This is a great movie. You're right, absolutely correct in saying that Anna Ferris is on top of the game in this in so many ways. The actual filmmaking by Greg Araki and the principal filmmakers in this is so playful and so astounding that it's almost its own character in a way, you know, it has that much personality and life to it. Uh, and it's laugh out loud. Funny. I was laughing out loud so much watching this movie and it was great to watch it with a group of people. Uh, so this is a great pick. I thought about putting this somewhere in my honorable mentions. Uh, but like I said, it did not, as people know, it did not end up there, but this is a really good movie. So I would full recommend this as well. Maybe it goes without saying. I would full recommend everything that's in my honorable mentions and <laughs> on my list. Oh, yeah. I didn't say that yeah. at top, but that's. I thought maybe it would go without saying. But Smiley Face is great. Love it. And it's kind of weird that Gregor Rocky made this movie because Mysterious Skin, I think, is the movie he makes right before. Not a playful comedy. A yeah. very sad look at trauma. And I will never watch that movie again either. That is another one that goes in that folder of, great, I saw it, perfect, goes in the folder, never have to watch that one again. Uh, So very crazy that he's that diverse of a filmmaker and can sort of tackle both sides. Agreed. Mason. Noah. We're here. We've arrived. This is my number one. I knew what my number one and my number two were going to be. Immediately. When we were doing this list. Mm -hmm. It was everything else that was a pain in the ass to try and figure out. And I loved Sorcerer. Mm -hmm. Watching Sorcerer was amazing to me. And I watched that movie on May 4th. May the 4th be with you, by the way. uh So, I was, for that whole day, the rest of that day, I was like, singing its praises. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Amazing. Amazing movie. Mm. This next movie, I watched on May 5th. 2021 Uh The day after May was a great month
1: for you For movies
0: It was a great month in general That's when I started my damn trip I was like damn May the the 5th be with me baby This movie Was so Good Mm -hmm. That I could not Watch movies For an extended period of time Because it was that good
1: it ruined and movies that for you. is
0: For a little bit I was like I just want to be thinking About this movie I just want to be With this one Yeah This movie came out In 2020 It was on your 2020 Best of list I knew it Directed by Joel Haver It is Pretend That You Love Me
1: Let's go I was too much of a coward to name this as the, the best movie of 2020 when we did our year end wrap up last year, but it is now sitting on top of my 2020 letterbox list. Um, fuck, dude. Yeah. Like, speak on it. <laughs> this is
0: no irony, no exaggeration. One of the best movies of all time ever made. Yeah. Straight up, I'm there. I, you know, you may not have even heard of this movie, to be honest yeah. with you, because it was released for free on YouTube by Joel Haver, who is a YouTube filmmaker uh, who's made a bunch of feature films. Uh, mm. This being one of them. And I had first heard about it from you, Mason. A couple other of my friends were getting into Joel Haver and sending me some of his shorter, you know, sketch stuff. Mm. And one night on May fifth, I was like, you know what? We're giving this a shot. Barely knew a lick of information about this movie going in. Just knew that it was hyped. Everyone that I follow on Letterboxd prior to me watching it had given this movie five stars slash a heart. Yeah. Every single person. I was like, okay, let's fucking see what's going on here. Because all that the uh all that the I gotta pull it up here, but all that the description on Letterboxd is Joel attempts to find a romantic connection while in the development of his next film all while dealing with his health and other personal issues. That's it. That's the entire description on Letterboxd. Yeah. And I don't want to say too much about this movie in terms of what actually happens because it is best if you go in knowing as little as possible. So I'm actually not going to talk about the plot of this film or anything that actually happens in this film. But here's what I will say about it. I don't actually want to say too much. This is exactly what I want from movies. Mm -hmm. All the time. It is deeply vulnerable. It is inventive and reinventive in ways that are refreshing. And at most, this movie probably cost $250 to make. Yeah. It is astonishing. I was a full body high hands on my head walking around the basement when this movie was done I cannot recommend this movie enough yeah it is one I'm gonna say it again it is one of the greatest movies ever made full
1: stop there are like editing choices in this movie that are better than full directors filmographies you know absolutely absolutely yeah it's like again,
0: You literally might be like, are they pranking me right now if you've never heard of this movie before? This is not a prank. This is not anything other than a sincere thank you and recommendation of Joel Haver's Pretend That You Love Me. Yeah. There are things happening in this movie that so surprised me that I felt a
1: physiological reaction happening in my body. The way that this movie, like, blossoms... And does not stop revealing itself to you until, honestly, until, like, the movie's over, you know? Yes. Credits. The credits. Even during the credits, (laughs) this movie is still surprising you and showing you more depth and more... Um, It just... And he makes it look so fucking easy. Like, it's just the it's i i i this is a movie that i i watch in 2020 kind of i think on the recommend like just seeing it pop up on letterboxd and seeing that it was free on youtube and i was like all right i'll just put this on on youtube like it's a it's a movie from this year i want to be able to say that i watch movies that were released in 2020 and like i said i think that i was like could this movie actually be as good as i remember it which is why it wasn't in my top you know my top movie from from 2020 of last year. I have since rectified that just on my own personal list here. but hearing you go off about it, it's another movie that I'm like kind of scared to revisit because I'm like am I gonna be disappointed but I know that I'm just going to watch it and find something new to to revisit here. I, I, and the fact that it's just for free on YouTube with 500,000 views, it's like so exciting. It like almost opens up the possibility of like YouTube as a medium for this kind of like filmmaking um, in a way. Um, when, you know, movie theaters being just these kind of, uh, places where the Disney movies are going to fight against each other or whatever, I can't like speak enough about like just the generosity of just of spirit and, and filmmaking and talent that this movie movie offers. There's like a, like I was with this movie from the beginning, which like trying to figure out it's, it, it starts off like kind of almost like a puzzle. Like you're trying to figure out exactly what you're watching and by that I mean am I watching a documentary am I watching a narrative and then there's just this break that happens in the middle of the movie that doesn't resolve anything and just makes like just kind of deepens whatever the fucking puzzle of this thing is I love it so much I love it so much I it's it I I love this for you that you've that you watch it this year and yeah it kind of does ruin movies for you for a little fucking bit yeah um <clears throat> fuck dude man if- Who's yeah. If you like Charlie
0: Kaufman, if you like Iranian cinema, yeah. Like, do watch this tonight. Yeah. You will not be disappointed. Absolutely. Mercedes Valuable Player is Joel Haver. Um, for a lot of reasons. But the three main reasons are he's a one man wrecking crew. He does yeah. everything. He's in this movie, he wrote this movie, he directed this movie, he edited this movie. Mm-hmm. He put every ounce of him into this movie. Mm-hmm. And he, more or less, obviously, he didn't do it entirely by himself. There's other actors in this film. But more or less, he did it. One man Wrecking Crew style. Shot it, edited it, lit it, acted, wrote it. It's amazing. That's one reason why he's the Mercedes Bible player. And on top of all that, he's a great filmmaker. He makes great decisions. He has great instincts. So for his craft, he's a Mercedes valuable player. But the number one reason why he is the Mercedes valuable player of his own film, Pretend That You Love Me, Mm -hmm. is because he is so willing to be vulnerable in his art in a way that is hard to describe without seeing it. So I won't describe it because you have to see it to believe it. But it is astounding. It is commendable. Joel, if you ever hear this, respond to my DM about coming on my favorite podcast, first and foremost. That's number one. But thank you so much for making this. It is truly a treat, and it is one of the best movies I've ever seen, and it is so inspiring. And that's all I think that needs to be said about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Great show we did it (laughs) almost three hours in we fucking did it (laughs) long first episode that you and I have just done in a
0: while you know just the two of us and it's longer than any guest episode (laughs) that we've ever done so for that thank if you stayed for all almost three hours this BS thanks for listening happy holidays Mason I'm gonna do some plugs
1: let's do some plugs let's do it let's wrap this sucker up
0: if you want to send us an email, you can. Everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. It is in the show description. Send us an email. We might read it on the show if it's good. If it sucks, forget about it. Get out of here. Bitch. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. At it's on, the list pod on Twitter. At itsonthelistpod on Instagram. You can follow me on social media if you want. But don't. And you can listen to my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things, which is currently on indefinite hiatus. However, you can check out the 71-episode back catalog. This week, I will be highlighting Mason's two appearances on the show. Hey! hey! Episode 13, talking about Jason Molina, 10 of Mason's favorite Jason Molina tracks. And episode 70, 70, I think, right? Yeah, episode 70, uh, we talked about podcasts for November, just the two of us two great eps two great gents go check those out Uh, I think that's it other than stay safe Mason bring us home
1: Uh, The Bar and a Podcast about The Shield on all your podcast platforms you can follow me on Twitter Instagram at hotdogdebicki letterboxed under my name you can buy a shirt at the link in the description or a sticker Um,
0: or a sticker like Chef Noe Noe did
1: I like hey look at that and you know what Noah doesn't even drink and the fact that he has that sticker means an awful lot to me so do that folks we will end this show finally by saying as we do every week tell someone you love him this week do something that you love this week and we will see you for our best of 2021 show next week thanks guys bye
0: Siagri, Fesh,
1: You guys smell shit, shit, shit.